Hey everybody, welcome to the Now It's Dark movie podcast. I'm Mike. We are finally back, and I am recording this right now, just hours after Bong Joon-ho and the movie Parasite won the Best Picture Academy Awards at the ceremony earlier this morning. And you know, I say this morning because we don't actually live over in the West. We don't live in the United States or Canada or Great Britain or anything like that. Tim and I are based in South Korea. And I'm coming to you now in a bit of a different format because we had an idea with another podcast that's also based here in Busan called Nothing's Really Real. And Nothing's Really Real is a wonderful arts podcast that really highlights the arts community of this part of the world, especially our city. And we decided to do a crossover episode. So the idea was that Tim and I would bring eight movies each, and with the host of Nothing's Really Real, Kelvin Brassbridge, as the judge, then he would sort of judge which movies are better for a general audience. And so this is actually the longest thing that we have ever recorded, and it turned out to be a really fun time and just another opportunity for Tim and I to talk about movies with someone else who's also really passionate about the art form. And just as a general note, on the Academy Awards, Tim and I are going to be releasing an Oscar reaction in a day or two. So keep an eye out for that. And thanks again for all your support and your patronage. So we're going to go now to the Nothing's Really Real, Now It's Dark crossover already in progress. Can I just say, too, what an honor it is to be on this podcast? Oh, same. Yeah, yeah man. I'm it's glad we're doing same. this. It's, it's really it's really cool, a little crossover action. Um, because, uh, I mean, you know, it's kind of funny with what you guys are doing. We're, we're in the same town. We're old friends. Yeah. You've both been on this show before. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, it's kind of cool because the first one that you guys did, it was just amazing because, I like, in – in the first week, I saw your numbers just going up like crazy. It was the Twin Peaks, of course, your first yeah. uh, real yeah. episode. The, the fans of Twin Peaks are incredible. So I was yeah. just like, I was kind of like, holy shit, they they just took off. They just got out of town like that with their first show. I was like really <laughs> surprised. Um, but well, then, you you're, you know, uh, I'm not saying it's like hit and miss sometimes mm. because you're obviously not making this show completely for the fans it's obviously your ideas and your minds that are uh building it up because like some of your episodes are going up on on youtube uh into the hundreds of thousands yeah and then some of them are like hitting a a thousand yeah yeah we're kind of it's interesting to see the sort of perhaps fan bases that are really into into it and like twin peaks like they're always looking into more twin peaks stuff Mm. but i'm not sure I'm not sure how much about, for instance, Blade Runner, the fans look into past is is Deckard a replicant, uh-huh. right? You know, but but you know, of course, we 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 enjoy exploring that stuff. Well, it's also just a matter of timing, like not only when we can release stuff, because oftentimes, like if you get a, a YouTube video out or a podcast up right when something is becoming part of the na- like the yep. national conversation, then it can blow up. Mm. Whereas if you release it like a couple of months later, not so much. Right. But there's also the timing issue with just us. Mm-hmm. It's like we can't commit enough time to be able to just strike when the iron's hot all the time. Right. So we kind of just have to do things. And sometimes we're prey to just falling behind. It's like, all right, well, 50 other people have commented on this. Yeah. And they've said similar things that we're saying. Right. And so, yeah, we kind of get, I guess, bumped down in, in terms of priority. Now but you have uh, you have you do have in some of these 
very successful shows, you have uh, a lot of comments going on in the YouTube and you have a lot of people who are listening like really intently and then they're sharing their opinions. What's your experience with that? It's It's, so eye-opening because, I mean, in, in some senses, I've been kind of primed to look at social media as kind of this like dumpster fire. You know, especially when it becomes like anonymous YouTube comments where you don't really know who's commenting. Right. And in general, I got to say the comments and, you know, I, I'll read through them all are really cool. You know, oh, yeah. there, there will people there will be people who disagree with what we say. There will be people who kind of criticize how we pronounced Ari Aster, you know? It's, I, I, someone uh, uh, wrote recently, you did that sort of pretentious clap emoji saying it's not called midsummer (laughs) (laughs) i think it is actually supposed to be midsomar yeah but i mean whatever it's the same thing isn't it that's right that's you're not talking about a different thing but i think some people like there there's a little thing that can get get under their nail perhaps you know what i mean and every time it gets hit it really just gets them to a point where they need to like clap it out yeah yeah Uh, (laughs) which is it's funny but like also it just depends on because some people can easily just forgive that mistake and just move on. Right. Yeah. I guess because we call it midsummer, just negates everything that we talked about. That is kind of funny though, because it could, in some people's minds. Yes. Oh yeah. In some yeah. people's minds. But like, I, I gotta say that's such a small percentage of mm, the comments. Like yeah. there will be there will be people who write like multiple paragraphs analyzing a particular argument we've made or responding with more details, and I'm just like, wow, that is you know everything I've heard about what what a cesspool this mm. environment this ecosystem is supposed to be it's not really true at least in the case of like the the sort of niche that we're into you know yeah and in general you know the response has been incredible mm. and i just yeah i it just makes me really happy that there are, are other movie nerds out there who are really interested in this mm. i remember one comment i was really flattering was when someone said yes this is one of my favorite channels and I just think, well, that's great to know that there's someone out there who looks forward to our podcasts and our videos the way that I look forward to some of my favorite channels. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was really, sure. that was really Yeah, it's incredible, excellent. right? Yeah. And uh, something I was saying to uh, uh, Tim at the, the bar, and I don't want to keep referencing that same conversation, but <laughs> something I was saying was uh, it's really amazing to have somebody as podcasters uh, it's amazing to have listeners. Yeah. yeah it's it amazing to have somebody, uh, and you know who you are, um, listening to us while they're making eggs in the morning. Right. And then maybe later you'll interact with them, or maybe you never will. But in some cases, I've been, you know, feeling a little low. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then somebody says, hey, I was listening to you this morning talking to, boom, somebody I had a conversation with on the show three months ago, yeah. right? And they they were like, I was listening to that and it was so cool. And then it, it makes me go, shit, you know, this person was hanging out with me this morning. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know what I right. mean? Like, I, I mean, it's, it's a weird way to think of it, but like, it's cool to know that people want to be with you or invite you into their home, even if they're yeah. just listening to the content that you're putting out. They'll I take mean, an hour, you know, an hour and a half out of their day to just kind of listen to you talk. Right. That's and incredibly I'm, flattering. I think, I think the convenience of podcasting is seldomly are people just listening or, you know, sitting right. there. Uh, obviously you're doing a hundred other things maybe, but, um, but it is cool that they're giving you their headspace. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, and, and their time, too. Yeah. yeah. So um, let's do this. I wanted to get some hot wrecks, some real fresh hot wrecks. And uh, as we, we got the Oscars on Monday, uh, probably yesterday when this comes out on my channel, and who knows with you guys. But um, <laughs> Six months from now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, let me hear... Uh, first of all, what's like a really great movie that you just recently saw? Uh, and I'm talking a new one. Oh, okay. A new one. Yeah. What's you, a new one? You want to do this? Yeah, first? sure. I'll do this one first. The last new movie I watched was Lolita, the 1962 Stanley Kubrick film. Wait, I don't. <laughs> Were you talking about like new mo- like the last 2019 movie? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought like you meant a... like the last movie I'd never seen before. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> No, but we can talk about Lolita. No, 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 no. The last, the last movie I saw from 2019 was Pain and Glory. Okay, what, what? I haven't even heard that. That's a Spanish language film by Pedro Almodovar, starring Antonio Banderas, and a yeah, little great bit, movie. yeah, a little bit of Penelope Cruz. Okay, they're both kind of his favorite actors. Ah, like they've been in a bunch of his movies, but I had never seen a Pedro Almodovar film before. But he's been. He's been having a career for decades at this point. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was my first one. And uh, that was I watched that because I had a, a bit of a goal that I want to watch more foreign language films this year. Sure. And this is one that is up for best foreign language picture or whatever the Oscars are calling it oh, this good. year. Yeah. I think it's going to go to Parasite, so it probably won't win. But in some ways, I may have thought, I may if I because I like to rank movies, I think I may have actually ranked it a bit higher than Parasite. But it, it, was, it was just really... Excellent. Antonio Banderas is a fantastic actor when, you know, you're not watching him do Spy Kids and Puss in Boots. Sure, when he's not. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and let you make fun of Puss in Boots, all right, <laughs> <laughs> um, But, yeah, just the, the the real physical and mental anguish his character goes through, and you kind of get into a sense into the character's life. And I found that it kind of made me feel very grateful for my current living situation and just mm. the way that my life is right now. And I really love the colors that Pedro Almodovar uses in that movie. And Tim, you may have, I think you've seen more of his work. Does he often yeah. use, the, like, does he often that, have That's a lot kind of, of his thing. Yeah. He's known for using very vibrant colors. Yeah. You know? Pain and Glory is no different. Yeah. And yeah. I thought it was a great film, too. Yeah. I, I just a very, really excellent movie that you may not think about if you if you kind of just stick with the English language uh, things. One of the things that I'm really grateful for, for Bong Joon-ho, and I, oh, this might have been at the Golden Globes, is when he said something along the lines of, if you can just get over the barrier of that one-inch subtitle at the bottom of the screen, you'll find that there's a whole world of cinema out there for oh, you. Yeah. And it's so true as well. Well, you know, uh, that makes sense, especially coming from a Korean or, you know, coming from a non-English uh culture or of movie watchers yeah they're raised that way yeah you know everything that they're consuming here in korea kind of like from hollywood has that one inch so it's kind of different it's it's hard for a lot of westerners to i was actually really concerned that so many people wouldn't have the opportunity to see parasite in the theater yeah when i'm just like it's such a it's going to be such a classic movie yeah um and, you know, obviously it's getting the notoriety that it does deserve. But I still, you know, I haven't, my parents haven't seen it. And they love going to the movies. You know what I right, mean? And right. it's just. Have they seen is, many Korean movies? No, I, I, I doubt they've even seen one. You know, I'd like, I, 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 I don't think I've, I can't recall ever watching a foreign language film with my folks. That's a right. reason why I think perhaps Parasite is getting so big now is because in many ways it could be 
a lot of people's first Korean movie. Yeah. And I would I'd say that might be a little weird because Old Boy came out 16 years ago mm-hmm. and that was prior to Parasite the most successful Korean movie internationally but yeah there might be a whole audience out there mm-hmm. who hasn't seen a Korean movie before and Tim and I think are of the same opinion that Parasite's a good movie but maybe by far not the end all be all of Korean movies but it does have that Korean movie gritty dark flavor to right. it right right and uh then again it does also have all the uh the social commentary in it that uh, people who want to read into can have a feast on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So of course, like me though, I ate a Whopper and uh, enjoyed it (laughs) at at Biff on the, you know, on the outdoor screen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's a great way to watch it. Oh man. It was awesome. Yeah. It was so fun. Uh, I'd love to have a Whopper right now. actually. (laughs) Is that our official plug? Yeah, and uh, this, and I do want to say that this podcast is sponsored by <laughs> Burger King. Uh, anyway, um, okay, great. That's the hot wreck. And what's your hot? I gotta hot say, hot the wreck? lighthouse. The lighthouse. I know we rewatched this yep. together recently, and I think okay. So that was the second time I'd seen it. Right. Same here. And man, is it just such a weird and wonderful movie? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. What Have we I all seen that twice now? It, yeah. 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 What I love most about it is just how how much it, it takes risks. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that's a really undervalued thing with movie making now is when someone takes huge risks and pulls it off. Mm. That's an incredible feat. I mean, imagine, just think about it on paper, what this film looks oh, like. Oh, yeah. yeah it, it looks like a big no from Hollywood. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, you know, the, uh, what, what do you call that? The box framing? Yeah, uh, and the aspect ratio. The yeah. aspect ratio is is like your old television set. No, it's even um, thinner. It's one point one nine, which is the old aspect ratio of silent films. So it's even oh, pre TV. So bizarre. Yeah, imagine yeah. the pitch. It's like I want to make a movie, but I want to look like it's from eighteen ninety. I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't. It didn't hurt the film at all, but I certainly was adjusting my television. Yeah, uh, yeah. Until I finally did a Google and found out that you know, it, and I'm sure hundreds That's of people. That's the way it's supposed to look. Right? Uh, have done that, but um, yeah. But two two men. Yep. Farting around, yelling at each other. Two lighthouse weird, keepers who weird slowly accents. go insane. Yeah. But I, you know, for me, when I saw what's the name of the director, uh, Robert Eggers. When I saw that it was his next movie after The Witch, yeah, I mean, uh, um, yep, I'm gonna watch every movie he has out until he has three Same. that suck. Same, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? And then I'm gonna like not rush to the theater. I think he's establishing himself as like one of the on the top tier of new directors because I'll... you know he does so much research for his films mm. and just like looking, like listening to interviews with him where he's talking about we had to get the buttons on their shirts right. You crazy know. and you know using for who lenses <laughs> for who for both of them that's yeah. a, like he's obsessive about details right right and no i mean for like who is he getting these details right for for himself yeah i mean ultimately mm-hmm. he has to be such a kind of ocd director about these things mm. because for him it's it's part of a bigger thing about getting you into this mood getting you into this world mm-hmm. and i love directors who do that and man, like the things he had to pull off, the tonal shifts where it's like, all right, 
is going to be these two guys getting drunk. They're going to say what about 50 times. <laughs> and then one of them is going to go on a tirade about Triton and cursing the other guy. Oh, man. And it's like, what? I, I don't know. I love what movies where it's like, what is actually going on here? I don't know what's happening, but it's great. He really does uh, try to really capture language, too. Like, um, and uh, like, But The Witch, I had to watch it with subtitles on. Yeah, you know, right, and yeah. it's an and it's an English movie, <laughs> but it's right. just it's so well acted. And something I'd always say about The Witch was it's got the best child actors I think I've ever seen. Yeah, mm. you know, like it's so awful that sometimes child actors can ruin a movie, not ruin it, but be just such the worst part. Yeah. Uh, but um, oh, and he directs, and I know it's going to be weird to say this. He directs animals so well because <laughs> the goat in the witch yeah. and the seagulls in uh, the lighthouse are perfect. Like They're there's really not a something. false moment with them. Yeah. Oh, it's so crazy. Great. That's a hot wreck. I, I definitely. Well, here's mine, and and this kind of goes off of uh, the lighthouse too because I think right. one of the best. You said the best. He's one of the best up and coming directors. I think one of the best up and coming production companies is a 24. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. It's insane yeah. how many great films they're putting out because my hot rep wreck would be from last week. I saw, um, uh, God damn it. That Adam Sandler movie, uncut um, gems, uncut gems. Yeah. Oh, God I've damn. still, I've yeah. still haven't seen that. Holy yeah, shit. Don't bother. You don't need a chair. Cause <laughs> I swear to God, I was standing right there in this living room. Yeah. The whole time. Okay. I couldn't sit down. Nice. Safety brothers. They're I mean, what they're doing right now is fantastic. And that that Adam Sandler performance, I thought Punch Drunk Love would be his oh, yeah. pinnacle. Right, right. And then I see this, I'm like, this might be better. So uh that's yeah, uh Punch Drunk Love is one of my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Absolutely. And when I was watching Uncut Gems, that's all I could think of. Exactly what you just said was just mm. like, oh, here we go. Sandler's doing it again, finally, because right. he's got it, man. It right. kind of makes you wonder, like, why doesn't he do this more often? I think he's going to. I think he's going to have to. But well, did you hear? Did you hear what he said? If he weren't nominated for an Academy Award, no, I he didn't. said, if if I'm not nominated for an Academy Award, I'm going to make a movie so awful on purpose. Well, I think he's done that plenty of times. <laughs> he's done that plenty of times, yeah. right? But he's threatening to do it uh, again, whether or not he's serious. But yeah, it's just it's almost like. He doesn't care until he does, and then... Man, that movie yeah. was... I, I think that's the most stressful movie I ever saw. Yeah, like, did so you... Did you say anxiety. you didn't see it? I or? haven't seen it. I saw Good Time by the Safdie Brothers. Oh, I, just, I can't wait to see that. That's uh, Pat, Pat Robert also Pattinson. Pattinson. Yeah, yeah. Pattinson. That's, that's the movie that the Safdie Brothers did before. And, kind and of one of the Safdie Brothers stars in it, too. Okay. Yeah. No, I haven't seen that, but I've heard it. It's been recommended to me a ton oh, of times. Oh, so good. Yeah. Is that no, A24 as well? Do you know? Or? Yeah, yeah. That's an A24 production. Man, if they you, are pumping them out if you like yeah. a24 as well check out neon because neon did parasite and they did portrait of a lady on fire as well mm. which won the screenplay at can was at biff and and things like that so i mean neon's another company to keep an eye out for mm -hmm. yeah neon and okay great i think uh in horror too we got uh blumhouse is doing yeah blumhouse too, yeah so. yeah these low lower budget films where it's like they're they take risks they try something different mm-hmm and they get ignored by the Oscars, but everyone talks about them. <laughs> but that's yeah. what it is. It's just like you were saying with the media, it's getting ignored by it because it's just not getting understood and it's not like yeah. up to the Pepsi Cola uh, standard um, <laughs> or whatever. You know, the Co we'll call it Coke then, Coca-Cola. Yeah. But, right. uh, but it's still like it's hitting with everybody who sees it. I mean, right. we were we watched this movie um, and 
Wheeler, you were invited. Where? Payne Wheeler, excuse me. You were invited to uh, – you, you, you guys use your full names on your podcast. Yeah, yeah, you? Mike okay, and thank, Tim. Thank, thank goodness. Yeah, okay, we're not Mike. Paw and Payne Wheeler. Payne Wheeler, <laughs> Payne Wheeler and Paw sounds like a law firm. <laughs> that does. It really does, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, you what screen are you, you talking about? You, you didn't uh, – when we watched The Lighthouse. Oh, because I had we seen watched it. it with nine yeah. people, nine drunk guys yeah, right, right. in a, in a, an apartment smaller than this one. In a tiny uh, place. Well, because I saw it for the second time like two days prior, so I just right, didn't feel sure, like seeing of course. it again. Yeah. But it worked. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. It worked, and it was a tiny-ass TV, and we were just well, like – everybody was like – It would have kind of sucked if it would have been my first time seeing it. Oh, yeah. Because we were talking a we bit. We were talking yeah. and we're having a loud. ball. Right. Uh, but there, and there were a few, obviously, that it was their first time. But yeah. since it wasn't our first time, we had a ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone else who was the first time was a bit frustrated, perhaps. Uh, shoot. I yeah, don't know where great. I was going with all that. But um, uh, so who's let's go. Let's get some Oscar picks before we play our the game that we've got. Sure. Play, yeah, yeah, sure. Here. What's yeah. um, I don't know anything about what's being nominated or who's up for what. So okay. why don't you guys lay it on me now? All right. Well, I I'm I find perhaps the best way to go about it is to just look at all of the predictors. I like to be a bit of a, a st- statistical nerd about this. And I like to make my picks based on what I think is probably the most, uh, the best predictor. So, for instance, uh, the Best Picture Academy Award is given to the producers and is largely voted on by the producers. And so, the movie that won the award for the from the Productions Guild was 1917. And so, I'll say 1917 gets Best Picture. Okay, and you said you're gonna you're gonna see that tomorrow. Yeah, we're gonna go see that tomorrow. It's mm. coming out in Korea on the 19th, ten days after the ceremony, which I think is super weak. Mm-hmm. But luckily, we're gonna go see it before the ceremony tomorrow, right? Yep. Who's in that? I uh, don't remember. <laughs> the actors are not particularly famous, but Sam yeah. Mendes directed the guy who directed yeah. American Beauty and uh, oh, Revolutionary really? okay. Road and huh. a few of the newer Bond movies. Yeah, and it's uh, stylized. Yep. Well, it's, it's shot in. It, it's made to look like it's shot in one take, like one shot. Kind of mm-hmm. like Birdman. Did you watch Birdman? Yeah. Yeah. So, thing. like, just imagine, you know, warplanes are coming in the back, and, you know, there's battle scenes, but it's one shot. Right. Think of how crazy that is. Yeah. I think that in itself is is interesting. Yeah. But on top of it, I hear, like, it's got great performances and things like that. So It's funny. Um, I just read a tweet uh the other day and it was somebody was saying that uh they went and they saw 1917 with their dad yeah and then they got out and they said so dad what do you think about how it was like it was made to look like it was all one shot and the dad didn't know what he was talking about (laughs) (laughs) he's like i can't tell if my dad is just just uh barely paying attention to anything (laughs) yeah or if uh it just was done so well Mm. that it's the uh you know hard to yeah, hard, hard to, to really tell. Gauge. It's unnoticeable. It reminds me of a friend of mine who told me about when he took his like 65-year-old father to see Avatar in 2009, and he was just speechless, like he had never seen anything like it before. And I can, you know, I can imagine if you've never seen something quite to that technological level. I mean, I, and you're I, of a certain age. That's really something. I was really impressed by the way Avatar looked as well. I mean, seeing it in 3D, I hadn't seen like any 3D movies. Uh, up until that point i i right. don't think and uh i mean i was i uh, story-wise i didn't really i mean i i know a lot of people shit on avatar uh and james cameron and all the that upcoming shit. five sequels <laughs> <laughs> i doubt it <laughs> come on no they're all in production he's filming them all at once that's fucking 
gross. It's <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. yeah. It's so dumb. But uh but I mean I'll I might take a look at the next one, you right. know? Uh just, I mean, I was, I said, wow, a few times in the right. theater that day. You oh, know? it looked beautiful. I, I still remember that experience of seeing it. I, I think you had to see it in 3D in the theater yeah. to really get the full, I guess, grasp of, of what was actually happening. Don't watch it on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> Don't watch anything on your phone. Yeah. yeah. Maybe but YouTube, maybe. Or yeah. you could watch like uh, true crime documentaries and stuff. Yeah, something visually unimportant. Do you guys tune into that stuff? Like uh, true crime podcasts, I do. Oh, you do? Yeah. What about on uh, all these um, docu drama series uh, that are on Netflix all the time? Do you guys like, like those? What's like Making a Murderer? Yeah, you know, like, that. like that. Or oh, right, um, right. Nazi Next Door. Sometimes or whatever it was. Yeah. What I, the neighbor? Guy. I don't have a lot of time to watch. St- like I, I try to watch as much as I can, but I, I rarely have a chance to just sit down and like, oh, what's on Netflix? It's like if yeah. I'm watching a movie, it's like. I've committed to watch these films, mm. you know, so I've got to like go through this list and watch them. Mm-hmm. I never go on Netflix and just look up a random thing and watch it. What about television series? I watch a lot of television and I oh, think yeah. that's why I've got a, it's not Tim, but it's another friend of mine who's kind of a, like real cinephile movie nerd like us. I've got a bit of an, a casual secret competition with him about how many movies we can watch in a year, but he will always win because he doesn't watch any television. Uh-huh. He only watches movies. Yeah. yeah Whereas right. I'll watch movies and I'll, I like, I, I want to find like my record album of the year and I want to find TV shows and stuff. So he will always win that movie battle, but it's because mm. I think I just consume more media in general than he There's does. There's a lot of media to consume. Yeah. Oh, there's too much, man. Okay. Uh, who's, who's the best actor and actress? Or the best uh, yeah back to oh, the like Oscars. who's gonna who's gonna win yeah who who oh, do you I think best I mean, picture what, what do you think yeah. Tim uh yeah I I think for best actor it's probably gonna be Joaquin Phoenix I'd agree mm-hmm. um I mean Adam Driver for Marriage Story he he did a great job man I'm kind of nervous to watch that movie it's a it's not an easy movie to watch. No, yeah, I think you... I'm gonna. I think I gotta, because I'm going through my own little marriage story. Yes, uh, yes, but, and um, it would be a hard, difficult watch for yeah, you, I'm sure. Yeah, if I'm you've gonna... experienced any sort of marriage story, I think wait until you're in the right frame of mind because yeah, it think, it yeah. gets deep. See, I really because I keep hearing people talk about how great Adam Driver is in it, and I yeah. really like Adam Driver as an yeah. actor, and I just don't. And I, how great this movie is, and people were saying it was some of their one of their favorites out of Biff. Yeah, definitely. And uh, and I just want to watch it, but I just nah. No, I, I told <laughs> I, I told friends of mine who yeah. have gone through things like that, like don't watch this now. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, give it some time, come back, or don't watch it. Period, because yeah. it's it's rough. Yeah, yeah. In spots, you know. Uh, okay, Adam Driver, Joaquin, great. One yeah. one of those two. It'll probably be Joaquin. I think for Best Actress, it'd be it'd be great to see Scarlett Johansson win again for Marriage Story because mm-hmm. I think she did a great job. And you rarely get to see her flex her full sort of acting yeah. chops. I think that's the performance of her life. Yeah, wow. she does such a great job in that. To be honest, I mean, I don't. I know we were telling you not to see this movie, but yeah, I if we're going to talk it. about it, I, I think it. it's the the performance of everyone's life in this movie. It's Noah Baumbach's best writing. It's Adam Driver's best performance. It's Scarlett Johansson's best performance, and it's my. Personally, my favorite movie of the year as well. There you Ray go. Liotta's in it. I mean, Ray Liotta <laughs> gives his best performance in a long time since yeah. Goodfellas. You know, Laura Dern will probably win the best uh, best supporting actress Oscar. So, yeah, yeah. As far as best actress, I think Renee Zellweger for Judy. 
she, uh, Renee's. You, no, you I, don't, Renee's? I shook my head uh, for the people listening, but um, <laughs> oh. I, I I disagree. No, I haven't oh. seen. It. I've never. <laughs> well, I don't, you know I don't, who Renee Zellweger is? Yes, though, of course. Right? Okay, well, she's in the Judy Garland biopic. Judy Garland, who was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. But it's late career, like late, like six months before she oh. dies, Judy Garland. Interesting. So it's kind of got that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, thing going. Like not, yes, not but really, Tarantino but it's like didn't a, direct it. Yeah, I'm <laughs> saying like uh, bring you back to uh, a sort of uh, time period. Yeah. Oh, it just sounds piece, like probably. Oscar bait. Like I, okay, I got to say, I have a certain thing with the Oscars where it's like, I'll follow it. I'll look at the categories and think about, all right, who could who could win this? But I mean, deep down, it's kind of a sham, mm. you know. And a lot of the movies that get nominated, it's like I'm looking at Judy. Of mm-hmm. course, a biopic about a, an a old Hollywood star. Of course, you're going to love this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're going to ignore movies like The Lighthouse or right. Uncut Gems. I mean, it's... How much longer do we have to play this game where we, we pretend like this is actually a good movie and this is actually an interesting performance? I have not seen the movie. Maybe it's great. But it just screams... One of these, like, we made this movie to be nominated for the Oscars, not mm-hmm. for anyone who would actually want to see it, but this is just made for Oscar voters to, to nominate. Interesting. I yeah. think it, seem, it, seem, it seems to me like it's a movie specifically for the acting categories, though. I'm Maybe. not sure how many people really seriously considered that it would be a best picture nominee. But again, I say this having not seen it, too, because it's not here yeah, yet. Yeah, so everything we're saying might be totally invalid. <laughs> we should prob- probably shouldn't even talk That's about right. it. That's right. By the time we see it, we're like, well, that was the best movie of the year. Right. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. There is a certain class of movies where it's like, yeah, sure. this isn't actually about anything. This is just about how you want to show that you're a great actor and that you know you want to make something that's popular for the academy maybe i don't know what the story is though, well if so. you want yeah. to know something yeah. interesting about it though liza minnelli was not happy about it ah. she didn't want it made okay yeah yeah but that's a bit of intrigue and apparently uh there's a true story about judy garland was supposed to win an oscar when she was in the hospital after just having given birth mm-hmm. and so they had cameras ready to go for when she won the oscar she was going to give this like acceptance speech in the hospital she, she didn't win oh so they just like it was this super awkward moment where they just had to take down all this camera equipment and just oh, get out of there. Oh. Yeah. And now she's going to win, but uh, Renee's going to pick it up for her. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. She's yeah. kind of carrying the baton. Yeah, that's and fun. It, uh, all right, again, it could be a great movie. Forget everything I said about it. I mean, I'd, I'd watch it. I would as well, but I kind of expect it to be like, oh, it was a great performance, but that's about it. Huh. Yeah. So what, what are we missing here? Because that's basically all that matters, right? Oh yeah, uh, unless you want to cover <laughs> screenplay and stuff, but I mean, other there's a than lot that, of technical things. What do you think yeah. screenplay then? Uh, is it light? Is it Lighthouse nominated for anything? The Best cinematography. cinematography. That's it. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> weird. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's some incredible performances, and uh, yeah, screenplay totally is pretty fucking awesome too. Yeah. yeah, you can bleep that out from your your end if you need well, to. No, no, <laughs> no, no, I don't it's care. Fine. We're we're it's a crossover podcast, so it's. Yeah. So we're playing it's by totally my fine. rules too. I don't. I don't have an aversion to swearing. I just. Yeah. No. I get I just you. Choose it's, not to on mine. No, for sure. Yeah. I swear a lot though. You know, That's all right. The kids love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's fun to swear sometimes. Um, you know, to go off the topic, but I was playing. I was hanging out with my buddy. He has kids, and uh, and we were playing this this game where the the object is to get the lowest number, mm-hmm. and I was you know, and a low number would be like. 17 right 
and I had a really high number. It was 85 and I yeah. wasn't so pleased about it, but I knew I was ar around children, but also like kind of drinking adults and stuff like that. And uh, just to talk about swearing for a second. Um, but when I had to reveal my score and I knew it would be the worst, I said, do you mind, may I curse? to the mother she said yeah go ahead and i go 80 fucking five <laughs> and, and the little boy he's eight years old maybe nine uh korean age that would be like 15 or something um, <laughs> yeah. but uh he loved it he, oh. he loved it and i was like i and then i was like oh shoot have i like because he's gonna remember yeah. this right oh yeah uh, and he's gonna like to swear the same way i do because when an adult would pull a joke like yep. that i loved it you yeah. just changed the course of that entire kid's life <laughs> so i was like <laughs> i was like i didn't say i didn't say i said 80 fruit and five and he goes he goes no you didn't mom can i say what he said <laughs> she was like, no it's so funny <laughs> Oh, yeah, shoot. of course they're going to remember that and not like, all right, I always brush your teeth before bed. <laughs> right, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it goes. It's 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 fun. I, I think swearing is necessary. If I ever had a, have a kid, I think the number one thing to, to teach kids about swearing is like, everyone says this at some point in their lives. If they don't say it, they think it. It's not about saying it or not saying it. It's about when you say it. Yeah, and uh -huh. whom you're around. And whom you're like around. And right. Yeah, it's like probably not a good idea to kind of get into this habit of just saying it for shock value all the time. Yeah. You know, you can swear around me, but around grandpa and grandma, don't. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. That's yeah. an idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's funny, though, I do curse a lot. Yeah. Uh, just especially on this pod, on my podcast, I, I, cur I, I swear all the time. Yeah. Just so naturally. And uh, I had a guest, um, a mutual friend of ours, who after the fact, had asked, um, we do, on my show, we do something called Memories of Regret. Yeah. Um, and it's where you talk about something that you regret from, regret from your life. But I told a one of my rare sexually related memories of regret. And uh. I pulled them out randomly from a, from a hat. And uh, it, was, it was vulgar, not so bad, but it was vulgar. And the guest had requested that after the fact, if I could pull that out of the show. Oh, um, your whole your my, whole part? Yeah. Oh wow. And uh, I was kind of like, "That's never happened." Mm -hmm. And um, wow. he was like, "I just don't think I could really share the show with anybody, you know, with that kind of yeah. content." Yeah. Um, and of course, my idea was like, "Nah." Like the first thing is like, "Nah, go fuck yourself." Then I'm like, I I'm like also kind of torn, and I'm like, oh, "I kind of." It's not that important. Yeah. I could tell that he wasn't really getting involved in the story and he was kind of just rushing me along and not really like participating in it right. or like having a fun time. That story would have gone a lot better with like a closer friend of mine rather than a person that I ha am just meeting for the first time. Right. Um, and what until I got up to the point, I realized that he didn't swear, you know, the whole show. Mm. And I'd probably swear, sworn like, you know, 20 times. Right. right. And it was just so funny just to see like, ah, you know, uh, I wonder how uncomfortable I had, you know, I'm sure he wasn't <laughs> uncomfortable cause he's an old punk, but like, yeah, it was just so funny that, uh, I did. And I pulled it and I, cause the fact was it's a better story with a uh, better company, which right. is what you kind of were, were saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. right. It's just, it's, it's a time and a place. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to put on, uh, you're not going to put on some R rated film, with your grandma or whatever you know yeah like same we've exactly. all had those moments where you're watching like uh, oh yeah and you know it's <laughs> i saw this great meme where it's like uh someone it said something like my my parents or my father has been like gone for 50 years 
turns on a, a sex scene in an R-rated movie, he's right there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, of course, that that's how it always goes. Yeah. You know? If you're talking about moments of regret, I have one quick uh, movie-related one. Oh, sure. Which is where uh, I had a, one of my best friends in high school was an Ethiopian. And I had, you, you've seen Blazing Saddles, right? Yeah. Right. Well, I just said, hey, I've got a great movie. I'm going to bring it over. And I go over and like his entire extended oh, family no. is visiting. Oh, no. <laughs> but I put it on anyway. Yeah, because, I mean, you didn't really... <laughs> how, how did you, they react Because you were like, this is that. a classic comedy. Yeah, I was like 15, 16. And it was more like the, the people our age, like I guess everyone else was also in the room like 15, 16 years old. But it's one of those where I look back and I just think because of all the racial insensitivity, I'm just like, wow, that was just such an awful decision really, on yeah. my part to really show... Cringy to show blazing saddles to a room full of Ethiopian people. Yeah. You terrible. could have brought the Goonies. I could have, I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I could have brought anything else. I didn't know his extended family was going to be there, but right. boy, what a terrible choice. <laughs> Did you watch the whole thing? I think so. <sighs> yeah. Oh geez. Yeah. <laughs> but you weren't feeling that uncomfortable. It's more of like the afterthought. It's, it's more the afterthought. I don't know things. if I really fully was aware of it at the right. time, but it's one of those where like, God, what was I thinking? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, so we, we've got a, uh, we've got a big deal here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we do something on my show often, kind of often. Uh, I, I sort of call it the nothing's really real tournament, but it's like, uh, it's just an elimination game. Yeah. Right. Um, where you, uh, but we're changing the rules of it a little bit too, but where, what happens is, um, like, for example, if we're debating what is the best album of all time and say, uh, my guest and I, and we'll, we'll say it's you, Mike, me, me and you will bring in our 10 favorite albums yep. and then we'll shuffle them all together randomly. Um, and then you will draw two from the card deck and you'll say, okay, I got um, typo neg- negative bloody kisses against, uh, you know, Sergeant Pepper. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and then I go, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I have to make a case for typo negative blood, bloody kisses before you eliminate it. Yeah. You know? And before uh, I make my case for Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> right. Exactly. So we're going to do that. And what I had you guys do was bring in movies that you are, think are undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, what did I, what did we say? Basically you're Eight. an idiot. You're an idiot. If you don't like this movie movies, everyone <laughs> ought to love, right? You know, sure. I, okay. if, if you're not an idiot, you are certainly a case could be made that you are at least obtuse for not liking. <laughs> if you this don't movie. like this, you're a total dumb idiot. <laughs> if you don't like this movie, it's your fault. Yeah. Um. Yes. So we're gonna find out what is the best recommendation. Uh, what you've got eight. You two have got eight cards each. Yeah. Right. Um. You're gonna play them against each other. We're changing the rules a little bit. So what's gonna happen is um. You'll rock scissor paper to see who goes first. One person will choose a card from their deck, and then somebody will match it with a card that they think that can beat it. Or you might want to play a game where it's like, oh, that's a really good pick. Let me mm. throw away one of my cards one, to it. One of my know, weaker ones. One of my weaker ones, because that one's going to go. I'll, I'll put know. in my giant against this one. Yeah. <laughs> Better so, get rid of that one. Francis yeah. Ford Coppola, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, wait, what's Jack? That's the uh, Robin Williams movie where he oh. ages really fast. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's Francis Ford Coppola? Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, yep. kind of a dark period in his life, I think. <laughs> or, or maybe it was the best You think it's be like a Chris life, Columbus movie, but it's a Francis Ford Coppola film. 
Uh, so yeah, let's get it started. Oh, and here's the rule though. You guys are going to put them up against each other. Right. You're going to make cases for them, but I'm going to be the judge. I'm not bringing in any, uh, okay. so you We're have to our convince to me. You. Yep. you have to convince me that this movie's better than the other. All right. All right. I, I like so, this, yeah. uh, so why don't you, um, rock, scissor, paper, one another, and the winner can, uh, mm. choose to go first or next. All right. Golly, bye, bo. Golly, bye, bo. All right. I got it. <clears throat> so what do you want to do? I'll defer, and uh, Tim can go first. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I want to see what you got. Uh, okay. Let me take a look at my deck. I'll receive a kickoff in the second half. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Okay. I think I have a good one here. All right. My first card I'm going to put down is Children of Men, Alfonso Cuarón. Yes. I like that movie quite a lot. Yeah, that's up there in my tops. That well. is a good one. That uh, I've seen that rated as like one of the best movies uh, since the two thousands, like since two thousand. I think it's one of the best uh, dystopian future movies, and maybe oh, yeah. one of the most original. Uh, it also has a lot of those um, scenes where it's like one continuous yes. shot. Yes, yes. But they're actually real. They are, and there's some really great stories about that, like blood splattering on the lens but they kept it in because it looked more realistic and mm-hmm. stuff like yeah it's, it's such a great movie i was thinking of taking a dive for uh for this one because that is an excellent movie but i'll throw in kind of a something a little totally different than it and i'll try to make its case for you okay i've got the general from 1926 Ooh, buster keaton yeah so it's buster keaton against clive owen <laughs> <laughs> uh now that's uh like uh some kind of he's that like a stooge kind of guy right or isn't he like like he's riding around on a falling off a train and stuff and yeah he's, a... he does a lot of great stunt work yeah okay yeah okay so who's gonna let's have you argue first because i'm familiar with children of men but okay. we do need to talk about it all right well um you know when i when i was going through the process of this and we were talking about movies that are undeniably great or no one could not enjoy sure and one of the things that I thought about was silent movies. And I know there might be some people out there, the average film goer, who doesn't like a silent movie because maybe it feels really dated or it's kind of hard to watch a movie because it feels so different and, you know, it's black and white and stuff and there's no talking in it. And I think, okay, that's fair. But if there's one silent movie that I think could change your mind or if it's mm-hmm. the only silent movie you ever really love, it'll be this one, The okay. General. yeah. In 1926, this was the most expensive movie ever made. And it's because it involves things like, since there was no CGI or anything, it involves things like taking a locomotive and several cars behind it and either, I don't know, breaking or blowing up the rail that it is on and having it fall into a lake and things like that and just having an actual train crash. Like, you've got one chance to do this and we're actually going to film it. And it's not going to be any sort of trickery. We're actually going to put this into the But it's definitely going to look cool. Because it's definitely going to look cool. <laughs> it was me and a bunch of other people who were like 20, 26 to about 28 or something like that. And all of us just hooped and hollered and cheered and just went, wow, while we were watching it for the first time. Hmm. And, you know, this is some of the most death-defying stunts. There's a moment in the general where... 
he's trying he's on the front of the locomotive and he's trying to clear away debris that is in the way right. that I've is on the railway and if he doesn't clear it off that train who knows what's going to happen to the train but the re- these really big blocks of wood and he's using other blocks of wood to kind of clear it off and there's a moment when a block of wood comes really dangerously close to his head and it could knock him forward it could knock him off the train and injure or kill him and at the very last second he just he just dodges it you know but it might not have ended that way. And all those, all those stunts are, you know, those are real. Those are, you know, he didn't, you can't plan that kind of thing. Yeah. And these are just death defying stunts that he's doing for the audience. Mm. And this is one movie where if you say, or you know someone who says, I don't like silent movies, then they haven't seen the general. And there's sure. no way that you can't be amazed at what happens in the general because it's all real. How long is it? Like, uh, oh, it's, oh, I would imagine it's like a hundred minutes long. Hmm. You know, that's wow. would you would you agree agree Maybe with that? Maybe around ninety. I'd yeah, say. it's it's yeah, not like a minutes. two hour watch or anything like that. And I find you know personally, I don't really like Charlie Chaplin films that much. I find his movies to be kind of a little bit too clever and sentimental for their own good. But Buster Keaton kind of avoids all that. But he like everything that he does is really real. I Charlie Chaplin will use a lot of camera trickery and things. Interesting. Yeah. Huh, okay. I wonder if you could watch it on YouTube, I was about to say. It might, it be, might be on public domain by now. Yeah, yeah. it's like... Uh, I don't know the laws behind It's almost that. 100 years old. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's 94 years then old. It, then it's... Then, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's almost, some version of it, at least, is definitely on public domain. Okay, so we got a 100-year-old movie. Uh, maybe a couple movies that were made 90 years apart. Yeah. And uh, Children of Men, if you want to give the audience a little, a quick rundown for those who haven't seen it. Right. So it's set in this dystopian future where women have lost the ability to have children, you know, and humanity's kind of on the brink of collapse because, you know, they, they will literally have on, on the news, like, this is the uh, the youngest person who's died or the oldest person who died. So it's like... Basically, every time someone dies, we're losing another member of the population. We can't replenish right. our, the human population. And it's got this real sense of... I think the most beautiful thing about the film is that a lot of the details of this world take place in the background. Mm-hmm. So Clive Owen will be on a train, and it's kind of a close-up on him, but the camera will just kind of swoop out, and you can see out the window like these people throwing things at the train or the camera will kind of drift off from Clive Owen walking down the street and you'll see all these like migrants who are being held up or imprisoned. Mm-hmm. And it just suggests so much about what's going to happen about the future just by the background details. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a brilliant way of presenting a world because you don't have to tell the audience anything about what's happening here. Everyone gets it. And it just kind of makes it seem like a real organic part of this world. Right. And they, the cinematography, they use long takes in such an effective way where it just like really builds up tension. You know, that part where they're, they're driving along uh, out of this kind of forest compound where they went to see Michael Caine. And they're kind of joking back and forth, Clive Owen and... Um, Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. And at one moment, the shit just kind of hits the fan and they don't cut the camera. I mean, as shit's going down, they just, right. the camera kind of spins around. Right. They kind of get ambushed, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's this sense of just like how much farther 
you know, down can we go? Like, this is just getting so intense. Right. Yeah. And that, that is, it, it totally intensifies it because not only that, but in your mind, you're going like, wait, I got to also see if they cut, when they're going to cut the camera. Yeah. Right. Cause yeah. like, this is like, this has been one take. How are they pulling this so, off? Yeah, exactly. You know? For sure. And that's, I mean, technically it's brilliant. The way it's directed is brilliant, but the, the, I guess the world that they're living in, it's just so, I guess, it's dystopian, it's dark, but it, it's, it feels, like, very plausible. There's so many hidden kind of Easter eggs in that movie, too, like yes. pop culture references and sort of, like, artwork that, uh, for, well, yeah, from pop culture and, and beyond yeah. it, like... like they reference Pink just, Floyd. Yeah, the Pink Floyd. And um, also there's, like... Uh, <laughs> When Michael Caine is like, uh, oh, some classical music, and he plays Aphex Twin, and it's just like, <laughs> there's little things that like, um, you know, peacefully, and he's smoking a joint, and it's just like, there's little things that really captured me when I was watching it, and yeah. those were them, and uh, yeah, that's definitely one that I've recommended to a thousand people, not a thousand, well, maybe a thousand with this thing, I'm sure I've talked about it. I know I brought yeah. it up when I did um, John Durso on like episode eight. He right. and I did our favorite movies in this, and Children of Men was definitely one of mm. it was one of mine in that. It's so. undeniably great. It's one of the best science fiction movies made in recent years. For uh, sure. Alfonso Cuarón would go go on to make Roma and other movies. Another great mm. movie. Oh, did yeah. we tell the listener that they're trying to protect a pregnant woman? Like right, the only one was that yeah. a spoiler? Did you leave uh, that that's out? That's not or really a spoiler. I mean, that's, that's the plot of the movie. That's, that's the plot of the movie. Yeah. The like, main yeah. thing of the movie. So it's also just really incredible. Um, regarding the classical music thing, I love it when they do that. If you saw Star Trek Beyond, for instance, mm -mm. they say, oh, well, there's a, a bit towards the end when they're, they realize it's something like whatever force they're fighting is like, they, they have a hard time with a certain type of music and they play the Beastie Boys. Oh, that's funny. And then one of the characters is like, classical music? That's what they're using? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's such a Star Trek joke. Yeah. It's it's funny, like, uh, if you were, because he was, like, some classical music, and it was, like, a Aphex Twin song that was released that year. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. right. It's just like, oh, wow. Um, okay, so here, let's eliminate one. Now, something I am going to do is, uh, what do you guys think? Before I make my choice, what do you think? Uh... Well, I mean, I don't know. They're two undeniably great movies. Sure. And I mean, uh, that's why I didn't throw this. I said, well, you know what? I, I think my, my choice could match Children of Men. I right, think right. either one would be a fair choice. I know Tim has the advantage because you've seen Children of Men. Right, you seen right, the general. right. I, I've seen clips from The, the General, mm -hmm. uh, but I haven't. I have no idea really what it's like. I don't yeah. think I've seen a silent film in like completion, unless it was a more modern one that I can't remember. Right. I, I will say, if you're ever going to watch silent films and get into them, find the highest quality version you can with a great soundtrack. Yep. If you go on YouTube, you'll see like a public domain version of it with a really terrible soundtrack. The quality won't be good. I mean, you're out of your comfort zone anyways with silent movies. Mm -hmm. It's over 100 years old. You got to get a good soundtrack and you got to get a high quality version. That's the only way you're going to get into the film. But once you kind of break through that barrier, it can be a beautiful thing. Um, the one that I'm going to check out after this conversation is The General. The General. So let's move it on. All right. The, oh, boom. The general I, you know on. I love this movie. That well, was no, one of my top ten, you know. That's so the beautiful I thing think, about this yeah. thing. Okay, yeah. so yeah. The General moves on. Can I take uh, Children of Men? Yeah. And I'll uh, just rip that. Just throw it in the trash. Like Nancy Pelosi. There you go. Rip that to pieces. Um, okay, so next, uh, first is Tim. 
No, well, wait, no. Yeah, yeah. Mike, yeah. You, you're first. All right, so uh, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put something up here. I'm gonna okay. So I went with a hundred years old first, with almost a hundred oh, okay. years old. I was first. like, what? What? <laughs> no, no, no. The, the first yeah, kind of movie from I went. 1889. My next choice is super modern and hip. It is Ford v Ferrari, current Best Picture nominee. Oh, interesting. Ooh. I haven't seen it yet. Yep. I definitely want to see it, but I uh, just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, and actually, uh, you you actually kind of asked me if I could pick more modern movies, but I had already you had already had I had that. already had this uh, one. I in. just and and we should uh, address that then because um, you know um, I was just concerned for my listener. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just because like you know if they're if they're listening to movies and I think they're gonna look for something you know you just. No, I get it. Not, yeah, no, not I get maybe it. my listener, but even my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I saw your list before I saw his. Yeah, and the majority of them were sixty plus years old. Yeah, and I said, <laughs> you know, like it's that it's even hard for me. You right. know, so I just was uh, worried that you were going to get smoked if I was the judge. Oh, that's you know that's what right. I mean. But hey, so, see, like nineteen twenty six takes the first win. Yeah, that's funny, but that's, that's it's all that's about right. uh, the convincing. So tell me yep. about Ford versus Ferrari. Well, wait, shouldn't I play? Well, yeah, mine yeah. First? Let's see his movie. Oh yes, first. please go ahead. Um, I'm trying to match something. I mean, the only thing on my list that's even vaguely similar in tone is, uh, and it's not really similar at all, is The Big Lebowski. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Well, that's uh, that is a good one. Yeah. All right. Well, okay, uh, I went first with uh, my. Do we want Tim to go first now? Because I did. I did the general first. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I picked first, but you that's explained a good idea. first. Yeah. So this is, I think, 1998. The Coen Brothers. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bridges. I mean, it's just one of those movies that's that's. It's kind of the most beautiful sort of movie where it comes out, nobody really knows what what to make of it, and it slowly becomes this cult movie where everyone talks about it, everyone's seen it, mm-hmm. and to the point where it just kind of becomes part of the culture without ever having been this great movie that was acknowledged at the time. And, you know, the basic setup is this guy who's named The Dude, he gets involved in this sort of um, case of mistaken identity, he gets blamed for something and pulled into this... Uh, crazy world of you know uh, nihilists and a whole bunch of crazy characters. His name is Jeffrey Lebowski, and he shares the same name with a really rich guy named Jeffrey Lebowski, That's who right. those guys are really after. That's right. Yeah, and the thing the Coen Brothers do so well is characters. Is characters and and just the world they put them in. Right. You know, and also tone. Mm. Because this movie is so funny, but it's funny because of the absurdity of the world that he's put in, you know? Like, you feel that they've met people like this before. They've met versions of these characters before. They probably know someone in their neighborhood who, you know, goes to the store high and and buys a carton of milk and drinks it in the store. and You know, like, they probably know people like that. You know, the whole thing, though, about that movie, and and I told you when, when you had sent me your list, I was like, a few of these were on my list. Right. The Big Lebowski was on my list. Could, right. Before we settled on what exactly we were going to do, I was going to have a list as well to compete with everybody. Right. Um, but The Big Lebowski was my choice for comedy. Right. Mm. I think it's it's my favorite comedy, I think. Uh, you know, it's up. I mean, it's up there. But I think it's the most go-to. I needed to have something from Coen Brothers, and that was the choice. No Country is one of my favorite movies yep. oh, as yeah. well. Yeah. But I just like, you know, I think the real standout piece, that, and then there's Fargo as well, but, um, you know, 
the Big Lebowski is just so spot on with comedy and you just never really expect it from this group of characters. A little bit of it is really far-fetched, but then there's scenes where they're just like, you know, and I'm sorry to hijack your, your no, points, no, no. but what you yeah. were talking about it was the scene in the grocery store where he's just buying milk and it's <laughs> fucking hilarious. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's like an opening scene if I'm correct. I, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, very exactly. early in the movie. Yeah. Remember, yeah. but uh, it's just like to set the tone of who this character is. There's no dialogue. It's just the way he looks and the way he goes about his day, you know? And, yeah. I mean, you know, the fact he has that mirror with the time person of the year. I mean, there's just so many little details <laughs> yeah. like this. Well, the, he writes a check for fucking 45 cents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just so perfect. And, you know, on a more technical level, one thing they do really well is these kind of medium shots where you see someone in a frame, but you see enough behind them where it's like they, they're, they're kind of always placed in a world. You know, like they're never isolated from the world that they're in. And it's just constantly relating things back to this this whole world that they've created where it, it is absurd, but it, there's something, I guess, deeper that, that's much more serious. Like there's there's a real sort of almost nihilistic view on the world that they make funny. You know, they make it enjoyable and, and fun to watch. But, you know, they can go in a different direction and do like No Country for Old Men or A Serious Man where it's like, okay, well, they, they obviously have a view on the world that, you know, you're not going to get paid for your just actions. You're mm. not going to get, uh, you know, your, your a place in heaven for doing something. It's like life is a series of random events and then you die. Mm-hmm. And Big Lebowski is the comedy version of that. Right, mm. right. Okay. The Coens are so interesting because, I mean, even some of their failures are a little fascinating. Yeah, they're really... They're, what would you say is one of their failures? Uh, Hail Caesar. Oh, I haven't seen yeah, that. Right. Yeah, but it just... That's a good just, example. It yeah, just didn't really it look... It was one of those where, like, you can tell they had a lot of fun making it, and there are some good moments in it. Like, George Clooney becoming a communist is pretty funny, but uh, apart from that, it's just a lot of filler. it looks fantastic. It looks Roger great. Isn't and that it's funny? Just, I've never even seen it, but I'm a big Coen Brothers yeah, fan. It's, yeah, it's not... There's a great scene with uh, Rafe Fiennes trying to get an actor to say a, a word or a phrase properly, and that's really fun. It's just, word it's, that it were so simple. Yeah, would that it were so simple, that's it. And eventually they change it to something like, it's complicated, because <laughs> <laughs> he can't get it right. Um, but that's... Yeah, it's not really worth it, but there are... You know, it's you one know, of those where... You know, a standout is uh, that Rome rom-com they did intolerable cruelty oh yeah oh yeah it's yeah, really right. good oh yeah, yeah. I, I enjoy it quite a lot i mean it's not one of my tops of theirs but uh yeah i it's definitely a, a movie i recommended to people and it just doesn't seem like something they'd be to like doing or burn after reading i love you know, that one sure. that's a great yeah, one brad pitt well yeah. there's there's so many great actors in in mm-hmm. the film so like yeah, yeah they but, can do anything yeah uh, I'm gonna throw it out for Ford v Ferrari, which is a current movie, a movie that is currently being nominated for Best Picture, perhaps among uh, other. And I think currently playing still in Korea. Right it, now. It's been it was it was pretty popular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let me ask you a question, Kelly. Are you interested in car racing as a sport? Like, would you ever just throw on NASCAR or something like that? No. Okay. No, I probably wouldn't. But it, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't be interested in like a male-centric drama <laughs> you know like which <laughs> well, is what that kind of strikes me sure. as that i think i'm really into that kind of stuff well i'm also i'm not interested in car racing either and i don't think right. tim is either really uh i'm a huge no, no i'm not <laughs> i'm not a fan of but um ford v ferrari is a movie that to its credit is like you say a male-centric 
whatever, uh, male-centric drama that um, is centered around car racing, but it really, really enraptures you in what the sport actually is. And I'm not going to go off and become a big sports racing nut or anything, but um, between the characters that are involved, the Christian Bale and the Matt Damon character, the connection between them is great, and obviously the performances are are fantastic because they're really world-class actors. Mm. But it really kind of shows you just, number one, how how fast those guys go and what it feels like to go that fast when they're because they're not talking about kilometers or miles per hour they're talking about how many times those wheels spin per minute or something and the sort of feeling that you get when you go uh, a certain speed and when uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it makes racing really accessible to people like me who don't know much about it and it makes it really intriguing to people like me who don't know much about it but something that was very similar to a movie called First Man, which was about sending someone to the moon. They're sending someone to the moon in this like man-made piece of metal mm-hmm. that is just connected just with... a tin can. A tin can that's connected with rivets and nails and things. And the same thing is true of Ford v. Ferrari. You're going however freaking fast, and all you are in is like a tin can as well. Like This is a custom-made car that is just welded together. It's got wheels, and if you crash, you're dead. And they make mm. you feel the fragility of the car. There are cuts but that go between the people who are watching the race inside the car, and then they'll go outside of the car, kind of closing up on the wheel, and like you'll kind of see that the wheel is spinning, but it's also shaking a little bit. Oh yeah, like this this could just go to pieces Ooh. at any at any moment. That's tense. And this is a race in Europe where they're racing for twenty four hours. Le Mans, the yeah. twenty four ah. hours of Le Mans. Yeah, so they've got about I don't know like three or four different racers who are taking shifts, and they'll do repeat shifts as well. Um, but it just kind of shows you what a nutty crazy world is it this the is. same car for 24 hours yes or is it's it- the same car but they'll, they'll come into a pit stop and they'll do tune-ups and stuff like that uh but yeah it's the and same they car. have alternate drivers yeah for- that's what i mean they'll have like four different drivers who yeah. kind of take shifts and that stays that stays that race is still running i, th- I believe yeah, so. yeah i think it is yeah wow, yeah it's amazing and this is about uh the christian bale character is a real racer I mean, I'm not into racing. I don't remember what the character's name is, sure. but uh, he was—he was Ken a, Miles. Oh, thank you. There you go, yeah. Ken Miles. He was a real racer. He's—I think he's kind of regarded as the Michael Jordan or Wayne Gretzky of racing and things like that. But he, you know, it's about him and his life story. But it's also more than just a biopic because it's also involving a lot of other characters too. So it's less a Ken Miles biopic mm. and more just a great race car drama and it appeals to anybody who even if you don't like or know anything about race cars and race car driving Mm. and it out of the best picture nominees which is nine this year this to me is the most purely entertaining ah great yeah i'd agree with that yeah Yeah. that's really i can't wait to see out of pure entertainment ford v ferrari bar none Awesome. No, it's a fantastic choice. Well, I yeah. can't wait to see it. Sorry, though, I have to eliminate it. Oh, okay. Because it's, I, it's, it's not just the, the Big, Big Lebowski. Lebowski. And, yeah, I just it's I couldn't really do it to that movie. <laughs> Especially because, but I, I can't wait to see it. And that's funny because I chose, like, I'm going to see this, The General. The General. Uh, that's that's one, the one that I'm going to check out before I check out Children of Men again. Yep. I am going to check out this before I watch The Big Lebowski for the 100th time. Yep, but, uh, <laughs> so could I have those? And Yeah, uh, go rip this up. I'm going to rip this, and I'm going to save this. Okay. All right, there goes Ford v. Ferrari. <laughs> Ford and isn't Ferrari this, in two different so pieces. Funny? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm psyched to see this movie, but. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So, Sorry, James uh, Mangle. Here we go. Who's next? All right. Uh, so I choose first, and then you talk. Yeah, that's right. right. All right. Um, 
Let's mix things up a little bit. I'm going to go a little bit into the past now. And uh, okay. So my next choice is Charles Lawton's Night of the Hunter. Uh, okay. Well, What's that's the year uh, on that, Tim. Uh, 1955, I think. 1955. Yeah. Um, right, well, okay. I, I can tell you more about it in a minute. Though. Sure. Uh, hmm. I feel like I'm a bit in the dark. I haven't seen this, but I have seen Children of Men. So, <clears throat> and I have seen The Big Lebowski. So let me throw out something out uh, that perhaps could could match it. All right. I'm gonna. Uh, this was uh, this was one that I put in after after your request. Mm-hmm. Um, this is 1993's Groundhog Day. Ah, uh, okay. Oh, right. Night of the Hunter versus To give me Groundhog a few Day. more modern titles. <laughs> yeah, so. that's right. Yeah, and, and I was very apologetic, to, and I said, don't do it if you don't want to. because No, I was happy to do it, and I totally understand. But, uh, yeah, okay, so. I go first. first. You're first. I go first with the, the Groundhog Day. Um, you just I, chose it because it was Groundhog Day last well, week. <laughs> I forgot oh, it was, was Groundhog it really? Day. That's yeah. right, because that does happen in, in early February. Groundhog Day is a great comedy from 1993 starring Bill Murray and Andy McDowell about a guy who really is quite a miser, played by Bill Murray, and who has to go to Punxsutawney in Pennsylvania to go cover Groundhog Day, Mm -hmm. which is that stupid, dumb festival where people gather to see a groundhog uh, climb out of its hole and see if it's got... A shadow or not, and then it's winter. It's just or a it's fun not. festival, but it's a stupid piece to the uh, to yeah, Bill Murray. It's a real stupid piece to Bill Murray. But anyway, something happens, and he has to live through this day over and over again. He doesn't know why. He always mm. wakes up in the same the same alarm clock. It's a Sonny and Cher song. And as far as comedies go, I think this is a great one. I really, it's number one. It's very funny. It's peak. It's creative. Peak of his powers, Bill Murray, mm-hmm. uh, at his most miserly, kind of in a similar situation to something like Scrooged, in the, that mm-hmm. same sort of vibe. And I like the thing about I like about Groundhog Day is all the little details about it. Like mm-hmm. I like, for instance, that instead of Christmas or Thanksgiving or even the Fourth of July, they just pick this most ridiculous, silly quote-unquote holiday of Groundhog Day. And that right. would just, even after like two or three days of having Groundhog Day, you're kind of really sick of it. I think I think also it's just like really capturing the mundanity of uh, mm. the day with like such yeah. a perfect, stupid, yeah. meaningless holiday. Everyone's getting so excited about going to see the Groundhog, right? right? And it's just either, he's either going to see his shadow or he's not. And then it's like 10 a.m. and he's still got the rest of the day. What is, <laughs> how is that like, is, how is that holiday known all across America. I, it's I, so yeah. ridiculous. It's such a silly, ridiculous holiday. And the fact it's that this a, is the it's day. It's not really a holiday. But no, it's no, just but a, it's, just, it's just a name. Well, they go day. all out for it there, though. Right. Like, yeah, they, yeah. they go nuts for that. In that town, yeah. 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 And um, other, other details to it, too, because you don't know why it happens. There's no sort of witch who casts a spell on him or something. He's just going through it. And you don't know how long he's been there. Mm. But by the end of the movie, he is a world-class ice sculptor. Oh, yeah. And he is a brilliant pianist. You know, um, my wife is a very good musician and she's like trained and she's studied and she reckons by the time that by the by the by his ability of, of piano at the end, he has been practicing daily for 20 years. Wow. So it's at least oh, that long. Really? I never really thought it was that long. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, there's in the script, I think originally it called for something like 10,000 years. But Jesus. I think they took that out because you can't really comprehend that. But 
I think they even even suggest, and um, the the director even suggests it might be a hundred years or something. But that's kind of the little details I like about Groundhog Day is that in addition to all the humor with Bill Murray, is these things like, wow, he's this amazing ice sculptor now, and he's right. just been here forever. It's kind of got a science fiction vibe to it, right? But not only that, that formula has been copied. So yep. many times since then. I uh, have seen a movie similar to this where it is a kid stuck on Christmas every day. Oh, really? I don't remember what this movie is. It well, was on also TV. Got, but yeah. uh, they have uh, they're, they're, that Tom Cruise movie, Edge of the T- Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow, Edge of yeah. Tomorrow, which was yeah. fantastic. Just, which yeah. was just Groundhog Day. It was like a video game movie. <laughs> I, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's what, yeah. that's the, it was a good movie. Uh, I yeah. maintain that that's probably the best video game movie ever made. Not oh, because okay, it's great. based on a video oh, game. Shoot. I think we talked about this right. on your radio show. Maybe, but because it is, it follows a video game game formula it's a video game movie. yeah and uh then there was uh and there's also happy death day that's the blumhouse movie uh, yeah yeah right, i'm right. not really into that but um i guess people like it but groundhog day is great it's a great comedy it's smart it doesn't you know something a comedy a problem that i think really plagues comedies from the mid 2000s or so is just there's a lot of slapstick and people getting kicked between the legs and the violence is the comedy Mm-hmm. And this is not the case. This is right. just really smart. It's really funny. I think it, there's a few other Bill Murray movies that just kind of like go. He's great. Uh, well, yeah, this is kind of his just typical you know, like I I don't yeah, like you. I don't like being butter, around you. You know, yeah. uh, uh, he plays kind of a, a similar character in yeah. Ghostbusters. Scrooged. And, uh, yeah, and but this isn't similar, but like the same sort of like just a good family comedy but yeah. a classic what about bob huh? exactly that right it's yeah, just like, it's one of those right in his heyday of his yeah maybe i don't know if it's his heyday but like when he was really just i think bill murray makes a lot of those comedies where i think if you don't find this funny i don't know what to There's, tell you yeah, and groundhog really day is probably yeah. the one that's up there the most where yeah. if you don't think groundhog day is funny then i don't know what to tell and you and his brother plays the mayor of that town Yes, his brother does play the mayor. Nobody of that knows time. that's his brother. <laughs> yeah, oh, no it's uh, Noah and no, and Noah Vanderbilt in Wayne's World. Yeah, and he's also arcade. He's that's also um, Chevy Chase's boss in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. That's right. As well, the guy yeah. who gives him the Jelly of the Month Club yeah. instead of his bonus. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally screwed him over. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's my choice. Groundhog Day. It's uh, it's just a great smart comedy, and uh, it holds up no matter what era or time you're in. Cool. Uh, okay, run it. All right, Night of the Hunter. You guys are not familiar with this film, right? No. So this is 1955. It was directed by a guy named Charles Lawton. It's the only movie he ever directed. Now, who's Charles Lawton? He's a guy who made his name in the acting world. He's this kind of Shakespearean actor who was kind of this larger-than-life figure. He acted in a lot of movies, too. And he made one foray into acting later in his life. It stars Robert Mitchum. And Shelley Winters. Do you know oh, Robert Mitchum? That's a great cast. Yeah. That's a fabulous cast. Robert Mitchum is kind of this badass actor. He was in the original... Um, Cape Fear. Cape Fear. Wow. And in this movie, um, he kind of plays this traveling preacher who happens upon this small town and finds this, this widow with two kids and kind of like uh, charms his way into her life. Mm. Only to kind of basically destroy it and become this monster basically i'm not going to say too much more you know otherwise i'd spoil it um the if you've ever seen people with like love and hate written on their their knuckles Mm -hmm. comes from that movie oh really Comes from this movie yeah um he tells a whole story about the battle between love and hate and does this thing uh What's great about this movie, what's brilliant about it, is that it might be the first example in filmmaking 
where a director takes a horror story and puts it in the formula of a fairy tale because it's from the kid's perspective. There's mm. two kids involved in this family. And to him, or to them, he becomes like a monster. But the only way they can make sense of it in their world is it's a fairy tale, right? It's a Grimm's fairy tale, like this, this monster comes out of the woods to get us. In reality, there's another deeper level of reality where it's like, no, it's actually really fucked up. It's really traumatic. And the way he kind of introduces this element of, of the fairy tale aspect, it's beautiful, but very haunting and incredibly dark. And we're mm. talking 1955 here. Right. So it's also a smart move on his part to kind of say like, well, I don't think I can get away with making a movie this violent, especially when kids are involved. So I'm going to p- kind of package this into a fairy tale format. Now, it's not overtly a fairy tale. It's not quite like Pan's Labyrinth or It's anything. not like Pan's Labyrinth, yeah. but Pan's Labyrinth would not exist if Night of the Hunter wasn't mm. made. Interesting. It started this whole thing of kind of introducing fairy tales as a way of kind of like dealing with trauma indirectly. How, how do you mean it's a fairy tale? Okay, so a good example. There's a part where this preacher guy, the Robert Mitchum character, is basically chasing these kids into the woods, right? Because they live in this kind of uh, small town, you know, f- fairly rural. And the way it's shot, they end up getting on this boat and kind of sailing down the, this river. The way it's shot, it looks like kind of a fairy tale book. I mean, there's giant frogs there. The the music, the the way it's it's lit, the stars are really bright. Like it looks like pictures from a, a children's fairy tale. But in reality, it's this screaming maniac who wants to kill them. And who is this movie marketed for? Like, is it an adult movie or is well, it? Well, that's the thing about it. When it when this came out, it was everyone despised it. He never made another movie after this. It destroyed his career, basically, uh, because it was so far ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. And back then, they didn't really have the ratings that you know now, like right. G, PG, R, and stuff. This mm. is made for a general audience. Hmm. You know, it's just combining. It's a really innovative blending of genres. Wow, that's to tell a really different kind of story. I mean, it's it's both. I swear to God, some of the creepiest scenes I've ever seen. Or in this movie. Because, mm. you know that, that famous hymn, uh, was it Bring in the Sheep? No, uh, I don't know that. Bring in the Sheep. I forget it. But he will sing that, and it sounds so creepy. Mm. Because you know, once you find out who this guy actually is, it just like adds this level of, of creepiness. It's also the basis for a lot of modern horror, too. Mm. Home invasion movies. Uh. You know, uh, movies about people who kind of pretend to be something and then actually end up being something else because they're actually trying to get something and they're willing to kill for it. It sets the groundwork for so much modern film. And ignoring all that, it's just an incredible film on its own. It looks beautiful. And the the performances are fantastic. Um, I can't can't say more good things about this. Everyone I've introduced this movie to, and most of them have been like 1955 fairy tale. No, I'm not going to watch that. Hmm. They watch it. It sounds like a. It. it sounds like something for the horror movie Hot Boys. Yeah, I think you guys would like it. I mean, yeah. it's it's like, it's obviously it's a movie from 1955, so it's it's not right. going to be like a slasher movie, but it's just so effective at what it does, so ahead of its time, that I I can't imagine anyone who actually took the time to sit down and watch it not loving it. Mm. Mm. All right. 
Judgment I made, Day. Uh, yeah, I, I made my choice. I think I'm going to go with The Hunter. You're going to go with Night uh, of the Hunter? I think, uh, I mean, obviously, I love Groundhog Day. and um, No, mine sounds uh, like a turd compared to that. <laughs> yeah, that was just sold so well. But I just rewatched but, Groundhog Day the other day, and it's, yeah. it's good. It's oh, good. it's a fantastic yeah, it movie. Yeah. Well, you know, cause, because I haven't seen Night of the Hunter, so I didn't know what to expect. So I kind of thought Groundhog Day is a bit of a wild and card as well. And this is one that you uh, brought. This was one of your honorable mentions. Pretty saying, much, you know, yeah. So, uh, so that's why I kind of just, uh, the I, I was uncertain about how you would feel. Thanks for nothing, it. Bill Murray. <laughs> Could I have uh, Night Bill of Murray the Hunter? Bill Murray the trash. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. How uh, how dated does Night of the Hunter feel? Not very dated at all. Okay. I mean, it's it's more like a time capsule of that's of kind of I like it. Life. I like it when um you can because I don't often watch too many like you know much older films. Yeah. Unless I don't, no, I think I just kind of had a bad experience with them when I was younger when I was taking like a um a film class in college and I really didn't have too big of a world view at that time of my life and um, just kind of really didn't enjoy some of the movies that we were you know not made to watch but like yeah made to watch in class right uh, and then analyze in a three-hour class um, one of them was uh, Rosebud what is that one uh, Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane yeah I just couldn't I just couldn't do it I was just yeah. like I just can't I just cannot enjoy this movie mm. at that time in my life. Maybe it'd be different now. Yeah. Right. Um, That's okay. With any of, any of these classics, you don't have to like no, them. No, f- for sure. But then, you know, more recently, you know, when you start hearing names of movies tossed around a lot, and then you sit down and you watch it, and you just go, well, there's no difference. This holds up. Yeah, all day. and that's oh, yeah, one absolutely. of the best that's a great feeling you know when yeah. you kind of just i like to be wrong you know what i mean i like to be yeah. like i like to like get new information and just be like oh shit yeah i i'm like i'm on a new path now this is great you know uh, well like a movie like the general is almost the equivalent of like watching a youtube compilation of just insane stunts yeah right right and that's, <laughs> that's a good I way of putting it the way it i was kind yeah. of uh yeah i was kind of thinking of it that way yeah uh, okay, great. Um, next. All right. Uh, I choose first this time because I think you chose first. Yes. That's, yeah, that's why right. I, uh, the Groundhog Day was a reactionary choice. Yes. Groundhog Day was a reactionary choice. All right. I'm, uh, I'm going to come out guns blazing and uh, pull out what I think is a sure thing. And this is 2001's The Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, that's... Uh... That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm just going <clears> to... <throat> I'm going to pull out something which I think... And I'll preface this by saying I think The Fellowship of the Ring is great. Uh huh. And it's a very enjoyable film. But the f- movie I'm going to set down next, I mean, just come on. <laughs> it's going to be a pop- Apocalypse Now. Oh, wait. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No, no, no. That no. was also. I think we I have to. Tell him it was also one that was on my list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. we have to have this matchup Lord of the Rings versus Apocalypse Now. All right. It sounds so pretty you're epic. first. You are first. Okay. Um,. I think Francis Ford Coppola himself said it best. His movie isn't about Vietnam. It was Vietnam. Mm. You know, I, everything about this movie is incredible to the point where the making of documentary of this movie is better than most movies ever made. Right. The making of documentary is called Hearts of Darkness, directed by his wife at the time. And I think it's still his wife. And... That's the story of the making of this movie is so incredible. Every step of the way, basically, you know, existence said, do not make this movie. This movie should not be made. Martin Sheen, for example, early on had a heart attack. 
when he's making this movie. Mm. Uh, they had to uh, get military equipment, helicopters and stuff from the from the Philippine army because they couldn't get you know from the U.S. military. They wouldn't they wouldn't let them use uh, their equipment to make a movie that they consider an anti-war. And I guess it is pretty anti-war. Mm. Um, you know, they, they had whole sets destroyed by tropical storms. Uh, Marlon Brando showed up on, on set, and he was supposed to be really thin, and he was incredibly overweight, and he had never read uh, the Joseph Conrad original, you know. So it just, every step of the way, it was an absolute task to make this film mm. and what's beautiful about it is that you can see that story if you want to check it out or you can watch the movie and just be amazed by it every step of the way you don't right. even have to know how hard it was to make this movie to appreciate it i mean let's start with the opening shot it's this great vietnam war movie and the audacity of starting a movie off with the end by the doors I mean, that's just such a good oh, idea yeah. that was done totally by accident. You know, they mm -hmm. shot so much footage that Walter Murch, he's the guy who edited the film, he said, we're just struggling for, for months to come up with a way to start this film. We shot so much footage. And then Francis Ford Coppola came into the editing room one day. He's like, oh, what's this? Oh, okay. Oh, we should try the, the, the end by the doors over this. And he just, in like five minutes, came up with the opening. Oh, man. Because he wasn't so invested in this monumental task of editing this film. And that's a scene that just really settles you in, too. Yeah. You know, it just really, like, gets you prepared for a long movie. and uh, But just, like, also, like, something that's going to move you. Absolutely. <laughs> it It's a movie not only about a war mm. and maybe one of the most transformative moments or periods in America's history... But it's about like the fundamentals of humanity. Because mm. when you're in a war, all the other bullshit goes away. At least based on what I've heard. And this is the sort of movie that, that digs that deep. It's like, all right, imagine that you're in the middle of a jungle and you have nothing holding you back. Like civilization is gone. Anything else that was that was, you know, that you were part of back home, that's gone. Mm -hmm. This mission that you're on, it's meaningless. So now what do you do? You know, do you go insane like Colonel Kurtz and just become all about power or whatever insane objective he's, he's after? Or do you still stick to some semblance of a moral code? And it's just a brilliant question. And the mm -hmm. movie handles it in such a great way. Um, there's so many epic scenes. The, the ride of the Valkyrie scene during that bombing. It gets at both the, I think, the insane, grotesque beauty of war that people like uh, uh, certain war correspondents have, have written about, where, you know, war can become so grotesque, it almost becomes beautiful in a way, just mm -hmm. the phenomenology of it. But it also gets at the brutality of it, too, because you see what, what effects this has. And I think no other movie has encapsulated how war can be this epic thing and this horrendous thing, this world-destroying thing at the same time. Mm. I mean, this is the sort of movie that changes people's lives. And that's why, I mean, there's... The farther down you get into talking about this movie, it's, it's almost like this might be one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. 
you know, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, I, yeah, I'm even changing my own mind here. Like no, I'm I moving do. this up my own ranks. No, I, I, I agree. Uh, you're, you're quite the, um, uh, convincer too. I mean, you're no, you make very convincing arguments, but I, I, I already knew, like I was already on board with this, you know, when I, well, when it's I just saw so it, good, I, you know, yeah, it, uh, it is just incredible. It's, um, I remember the first time I had seen it and it was when I think maybe it was apocalypse. Now redux came out mm. or like, it was like just a, like a longer version of uncut footage. And I, I, that was on VHS of course, when I was in high school and, um, you know, it was hard for me to get the whole thing because I'm hanging out with friends and I have other fucking teenage things going on in my mind right. where I don't really want to, like, sit and watch a three-hour movie. But there were always scenes that kind of like, you know, maybe uh, his name was Tristan, but, like, Tristan would grab me and be like, oh, look, watch, look. Yeah. You know, uh, and then – and but I would never forget which, you know, parts that, wa right. that was. And – um and uh, yeah, and then you know revisiting in it later, like four years later, and then again and again. Uh, you know, I think it was on Netflix recently, and I was just like, okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. Grabbed four beers and uh, yeah. <laughs> sat sat in, tucked in for it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just a just a great movie, and when just like so such insane. a uh, when you talk about like maybe method acting or just like actually not just method acting, but like um being so twisted in your own world and uh just the uh oh jeez i'm not as good at this as you are but uh no, just I'm like but you know like you can see that the actors are actually crazy yes. god damn when they pull up on the when they pull that boat up on um general kurtz's uh little town and with yeah. the photographers there but there's Dennis that Hopper. ned there's the there's the na dead naked guy yeah hanging in the tree just yeah. so graphically there there's yes. a naked man hanging in a tree and they're just this is run of the mill for them right then that's crazy yeah the the war correspondent i was trying to think of before was christopher hedges mm. And he's kind of like some of what I've heard and read about him. It's just, it's kind of paints this portrait of a world where it's like, what if you lose all your coordinates on reality? Oh, yeah. You know, where like a, a dead naked guy hanging up in a tree becomes normal. Normal. Right. 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 And that movie gets at that insanity where you right. just lose all basis for reality. Right, right. But, you know, they do, but we're still seeing it. So, like, right. I couldn't take my eyes off of it. You know, the, the, the dead naked man. Right. And it was just, but it was there. And it was like, is somebody going to cut that down? Like, it wasn't <laughs> even, a, it was just a background piece. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, really some crazy stuff. Now, to move it over to Lord of the Rings. M my thing about the Lord of the Rings series is I can't really, now that there's been, and also The Hobbit, it's hard for me to, like, separate them mm. individually well so i'll have to know you'll have to f explain to me which one this is i will i have been sitting here patiently because i've been thinking of the ways that apocalypse now totally fails the parameters of this contest because if this whole thing is about movies that are undeniably enjoyable for everybody mm -hmm. the moments that you've been talking about because i like apocalypse now the moments you've been talking about have been the opening where they're bombing the crap out of the jungle and the the doors and and you've also been talking about the 
charge of the what, not the charge the of right the, of the Valkyrie. the right of the Valkyrie right. You've been talking about Colonel Kurtz, and all of that is in like the first half hour in the last forty-five minutes. But what about everything else in the middle? Right, and that's what tuned me out when I was a, a teenager. And that is why I would never have picked Apocalypse Now for this contest because yes. there's a lot of stuff in the middle, especially if you watch the director's cut, which is like four re- and a half redux. hour. The Redux—that's the one that I've seen. Uh, I'm talking about the original. Though. Well, it doesn't matter. It's still a long movie. And especially, there's Dude, still a you're, you're lot talking about of Lord stuff. of the Rings, right? But but <laughs> but there's a lot of stuff in between, sandwiched in between all the stuff that you've been talking about. Mm. That is admittedly great about Apocalypse Now. That I think does not live up to the uh, construct of this particular contest. And so I think Apocalypse Now does not compute with everything. Now, Fellowship of the Ring <laughs> is a long movie, yes, but. I maintain that The Fellowship of the Ring, this is the first one that came out in 2001, uh, long before The Hobbit. The Fellowship of the Ring is one of the few movies that I deem to be perfect. Ah, now, interesting. Now, in a lot of action movies, for instance, and Lord of the Rings does have some action. There's a lot of action, kind of for action's sake, or because you haven't had an action beat in some time. If you look at Inception in 2010, there's a weird action scene kind of in the first half hour or so where... They're just talking about stuff, and all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, uh, I'll meet you there. They're coming after you. Go and run. And there's just a chase scene with Leonardo DiCaprio for... And it kind of just feels like, uh, Mr. Nolan, you haven't had an action beat in 10 minutes. We should we should have an action scene. But in The Fellowship of the Ring, every time there's a fight, every time there's a battle, and this is the only one that this is true of that original trilogy, right? The Fellowship of the Two Towers and The Return of the King. The Fellowship of the Ring is the only one where this is true. Every battle, every fight, every action scene is there for a reason. It is there to introduce a character, it is there to move the story, or it is there to teach you something new about a character that you did not know before. So the first time, I think one of the best scenes in this is uh, the fight on, um, on a place called Weathertop. This is a, rem- a remarkable scene for a few reasons. It's the first time you see the hobbits with swords in their hands and what, how useless they are in it. It's the first time you see those ring wraiths, those Nazgul that make the freaky sound and those, those really dark hooded creatures with swords in their hands and you see how terrifying they are. It's also the first time that you see Aragorn, at this time in the first movie, known as Strider, with a sword in his hand. You've met him before, but he's kind of this mysterious figure. But this is the first time you see what a great fighter he is. He beats all of those guys by himself. And at the same time, Frodo Baggins, who is the hope of the world, gets stabbed. And in this way, the plot has been moved forward. And then towards the end, when um, there's a there's a the, towards the end when Boromir dies, I mean that's that's big as well. The two hobbits get captured, and essentially the the fellowship of the ring breaks at this point. And so that does all of those things, right? I mean, it, it moves the plot forward. It raises the stakes. Everything in the, fellow, in the Fellowship of the Ring is there to raise the stakes or move the plot forward. It's there for a reason. And that's why I find a lot of the Marvel movies uh, so vapid because it's just, instead of teaching me something new, you're just, well, here's an action scene because it's an action movie. But the Fellowship of the Ring, it really belongs. And when you take a look at that and then you move on to how it's a remarkable adaptation. 
The Fellowship of the Ring, the book itself, can be quite slow at times. In fact, the entire trilogy. Have you ever read The Lord of the Rings? No. Oh, it's very slow. It's incredibly slow. The The Council of Elrond scene is like, everyone there just stands up and tells this five-page story of everything, every detail in their life and how they got there. And, you know, they just cut all of that stuff out for the most interesting and the most pertinent stuff uh, to the movie. And when you mix in the remarkable score by Howard Shore and how he actually has a lot of Tolkien's languages sung by the choir in there. Uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, in that sense, continues to, to impress me no matter how many times I watch it. And in large contrast to The Hobbit, The Hobbit is a giant CGI-filled mess, but The Fellowship of the Ring is one of those that's just a great practical hmm. and CGI mix, and it uses the CGI technology perfectly in that sense hmm. it builds these practical sets but it has a cgi golem who's mixed into it but you know in the hobbit i mean they're like the dwarves are they've got cgi faces and stuff but you know in lord of the rings it's it's done perfectly it's got the costumes and the makeup and the cgi is kind of kind of just scattered out in that sense hmm. and that's why the fellowship of the ring remains my favorite of the original lord of the rings trilogy uh, it yeah, is just, think, it is a perfect movie in that I sense. I think the, 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 I, I, now you've convinced me I have to watch this again because I mm-hmm. haven't seen it twice. Um, because there was so, I was so, uh, bombarded with these movies yep. since this one came out. Well, yeah, well, I'll tell you the two towers, for instance, that's the second one. I think the battles of Helm's Deep maybe goes on a little bit too long and Legolas does some stupid stunts and things. So when I talk about perfect, I mean, as much as I like the two towers, mm. the Lord, the Fellowship of the Ring doesn't quite go to those those levels. It, it really right. it contains it itself and it reigns in itself. It's a perfect movie in that sense to me. Jeez, uh, I got these. These were very good arguments, fellas. So, does anyone, either one of you, want to back down? I don't think so, right? I, I said like I fully well, believe in the power of the ring. I'll, in this I'll case. just say that the <laughs> the middle parts of Apocalypse Now are also great. You know, not like great enough for you to talk about, apparently. Well, no, it's just they're <laughs> they're only great instead of impeccable. Uh huh. You know, like that—that's how good the opening is and the ending is. That they're so great that you know you mention those first. But I mean, you think about all the great scenes in Apocalypse Now—the surfing part. Whenever he goes deeper into the jungle, and that great line from Colonel Kurtz—you know—was it a snail on slithering on the end of a straight razor? It's just the level of insanity that it builds up is just, my God, you know? I mean, that that level of feeling and the world it takes you into is something I've never experienced before. There's and a lot of people who will not get that far in Apocalypse Now. I don't think so, That's, man. That, I, I that, think... That is tr- it is true. I It is true. So I don't what know I, that. What I... I couldn't... I wouldn't have gotten through it you know unless i was forced when i was younger because i was an idiot but you when you did that answers the question though that's exactly what we were saying i was being an idiot Mm -hmm. it was my fault that i didn't watch it you know what i mean and then when i did now i'll sit back and watch it again of course right now on my to-do list i'm gonna watch the fellowship of the ring again Mm -hmm. and capture it after hearing what you said and sometimes i need that yeah but Mike, I don't think I can let it move on, and I'm sorry because I think this one's going to hurt you. <laughs> uh, I, I I just disagree. Yeah, I do. 
I mean, I am. I, it, it is my judgment, but I just couldn't do it to Apocalypse Now, which is already in my heart. You know what well, I mean? I'm not the judge here, so. Uh, so sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry to do it to you because 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 you've you've honestly convinced me. But I just got so these kind of got so watered down, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think you said like the battle goes too long in the next movie, and then you know the whole series right, but sort I'm, of we're, goes we're, too we're long. Keeping, I'm, I'm keeping all of that stuff out and just talking about this. No, one you're in right. Particular. You're right. I and I get that, yeah. but I can't separate it right now because right. of my experience with it so far. Okay. So I'm sorry, buddy. It's okay. You know who is going to be upset by this though is um, is Greg from On Cinema at the Cinema. Oh yeah. Who thinks that the Hobbit <laughs> totally Hobbit got head. robbed at the Oscars? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Sorry, no, I, I do maintain I, I, the I, Hobbit I, is awful. But I, the, uh, I apologize for that's this. That's fine. That's fine. But the Fellowship of the Ring, go watch it again. I will. And keep I will. everything I, I said in mind. I will for sure. And I, mean, I know he's going to do this to my favorite film on the list. <laughs> Well, I don't I know. Just he's, know uh, it's going to happen. He's been favoring you so far, Tim. I don't. Only I don't by know. one. I, I think only by uh, one. Buster Keaton has uh, pulled off the only victory of <laughs> oh, mine. Yeah. <laughs> mine so far. I mean, if anyone could do it, though. Yeah. Well, maybe, uh, maybe we've got a stack because we still have four rounds in this first. Uh, mm-hmm. Do we really? Oh my God! This is such a long pod. It's going to be three hours. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, do you, if you listen to Hardcore History, like his, oh, yeah. his stuff is like he yeah. can li- release one episode well, six think- hours long. Yeah, I think I, I think there will be no edit on my end. I think I'm just gonna put it out there. And I'm thinking the same thing. Trudge yeah. through can uh, yeah. can enjoy for sure. All right, that's right. This will be our this will be the listeners' apocalypse now. <laughs> <laughs> first, the first bit and the end bit is awesome, and uh, the middle bit you might have to trudge. Through. It's just just amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So who's who's first? Uh, I talked first, which means I drew second, which yeah. means you should draw first. All right. It's a kind of a confusing way we've uh, we've stuck with it. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, all right. This is uh, this is one I know Tim will really appreciate. This is Doctor Strangelove from 1964. Mm. Ooh, I knew you were gonna put that in your list. <laughs> I just I was gonna write it, and I'm like, no, I know Mike is gonna put it. So mm. Kubrick. Yep. Because I watched it like last week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nice. I watched it last week. Mm. So is this your favorite Kubrick film? Mike, uh, our, our our mutual friend Mike put it in a good way. I, he says, I think a lot of people have, if you talk about your three favorite Kubrick movies, you've got your top two, and then your last one is whatever one you watched last. Ah, uh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's a great Mike quote. That is, yeah, but it's, it's kind of true is because this last week was the first time I watched Dr. Strangelove for like eight or nine years, but it's like the fourth or fifth time I've seen it, and it was even better than I remember. Oh, really? Yeah. But I'm not. I'm going to save that because Tim yes. gets to talk first. Um, well, no, I get to talk. Well, what did you choose? I uh, I chose, and I, I wanted to choose something a little bit different. It's, I guess, kind of comedic mm-hmm. around the same time period. And I know you haven't seen it. This is Jean-Luc Godard's Masculine Feminine. And I know you love this film, too. I do like this film. I think this is from 1966. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. So do I go first? Yes, you yeah. do. Right, right. Wait, I, I went first last time, right? Uh, I'll just matter. go first Just again. go yeah, first. <laughs> All right, so... Well, a few beers and whiskeys in at this point. Yeah, yeah. Who cares <laughs> about the rules? Um, what's beautiful about this movie, and if you're not familiar with Jean-Luc Godard, I mean, he's kind of this crazy experimental filmmaker who somehow became mainstream with his first movie. He made this movie called Breathless in 1959 and just became this sensation. 
because he found this like I guess Rosetta Stone that every filmmaker wants to find, which is how you can be experimental and arty and make movies that mainstream audiences love. Mm. And this is probably the best encapsulation of that formula. This is like a movie that reminds you of everything great about being in college, about being young. Just kind of the, the freewheeling nature of it. I mean, the beautiful thing about how he shoots movies is that the way he shoots movies kind of recreates that feeling because it's so experimental and fun and freewheeling. Hmm. And this movie is just, from beginning to end, delightful. It's charming. It, it makes you... I mean, it's just about a bunch of, like, I guess, 20-somethings kind of hanging out. You know, it kind of belongs in that genre of kind of slacker movies almost. Um, and it just kind of reminds you of, of what it's like to have a little bit of free time in your hands and be young and kind of be in a city. And the way he shoot, like, he, for example, the opening shot, there's this actor, Jean-Pierre Leo, which he uses a lot. It's him obviously not knowing that Jean-Luc Godard has, has been rolling the cameras for a while. And he's trying to do this trick where he flips his cigarette into his mouth. Like he flips it upside down into his mouth. And just kind of the way he looks, like it's clear that he knows the cameras aren't rolling. Mm -hmm. And he, he pulls this trick off and just kind of like smiles. And it's like, there's such a beautiful authenticity about that moment. Because he, he knew, or he wasn't aware the camera was rolling. And so Jean-Luc Godard is the sort of filmmaker where it's like, this is the feeling I want throughout all of my movies. It's where it, it's, it's almost like that home video moment where you capture this authentic moment with someone, but he weaves it into a story, mm. you know? And for me, watching that, I'm like, yeah, that just reminds me of being in university again. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that feeling that I could really do anything, or if I can't do anything, I don't really care because I'm thinking about now. I'm thinking about having fun. I'm thinking about trying new things. And... It, it represents that, but it also gives you that feeling, whatever age you are. Um, yeah, it's 1966, but it encapsulates that feeling, I think, for any time. And yeah, that's why I'd recommend it. I mean, Dr. Strangelove Kubrick is probably my film, favorite filmmaker of all time. Mm -hmm. um, but that's the best argument I can put up against it, <laughs> you know. This one should be easy for you. Well, I don't want to <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't say that because, you know, that's why, that's why you play the game. Um, Doctor Strange Love 1964 is a Cold War comedy. Have you seen it? Yeah. Okay, it's a Cold War comedy about this reckless military general who orders a nuclear strike on Russia and then shuts himself in an office and makes himself totally unreachable while everyone else, the president and the rest of the military, is trying to find a way to stop it. Mm -hmm. And even though it is a Cold War comedy, it is still as relevant now as it has ever been. Because if a person in power making a really rash and impulsive military decision for reasons involving conspiracies and overall total disconnect from reality sounds a bit familiar in right. today's modern life, then that's why. So Dr. Strangelove still is very very uh, topical today. And it involves on the side as well. It involves Peter Sellers and then another movie, another Kubrick movie where he plays like three different characters. 
uh, all from different places. Like he plays the American president, a German ex-Nazi scientist, and a British. I think he's yeah, he's the the crazy general's executive officer. But the, all he was th- supposed to play four. Yeah, that's right. He was supposed to play four, but he only plays three. Yeah. Who was he supposed to play? He's supposed play to play the, the crazy cowboy guy I in the thought, bomb. I was going right. to say, yeah. But he say, got hurt, so he couldn't do that's it. That's what I was going to They picked Slim yeah. Pickens for that. Which is a great uh, choice, by the way. Which is a great choice. He was also in Blazing Saddles that we mm-hmm. mentioned earlier. And um, just the things that I, there are some things that I noticed about Dr. Strangelove last week that I feel like I either didn't notice before, you know, 10 years ago, or I just kind of forgot about. But I just love the little details when you really just see that, number one, all the people who are in power are are just so totally powerless when something wrong like this happens. Mm-hmm. Number two, they're all men as well. And uh, someone I was talking to uh, once uh, was the one who pointed this out, and he said that he was watching it with a, with a woman once who was a little drunk and just said, like, oh, God, like this is why men are just ruining the world and stuff like that. But that is something that just kind of made me laugh as well, is like, like that is maybe something to poke fun of, yeah. right? Is that everyone, everyone, is, uh, um, everyone in there are, are just men screwing up. And then perhaps the best detail of that is after everything's hit the fan, the Dr. Strangelove character, the ex-Nazi scientist, is talking about a bunker and how everyone can go in or as many people as they can fit. And he's giving details like 10 women for every man so that they can repopulate the planet. But then he says something like along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, he's like, oh, of course, we're going to have to have some, some government, uh, some leaders and, uh, and some uh, military leaders uh, you know, to lead the people and for government. And I just thought that was so great because that means that the same people who made all these mistakes are also going in the bunker right. and nothing is changing. Right. And that to me is just the more things change, the more things stay the same. Yeah, this is yeah. Cold War, but it's still so 2019, so, so, sorry, so 2020 uh, in this day and age. And as you're going along, it's just, it's hysterical. It's, it's mm. a, a laugh a minute here. And in large part because of how ridiculous the whole thing. And Kubrick actually wanted to write this as a, as a real serious drama. Right. It's based on a book called Red Alert. But he just noticed that the more he was writing, when you, get, when you start talking about something called mega deaths and you're talking about 30 mega deaths and like, oh, it's like, oh, like two to five million people killed tops. Like that's just yeah, absurd. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and there's... Yeah. <clears throat> In this case, to me, there's no way you could make this anything but a horrific comedy. Right. This is, to me, this is right up there with any bit of existential absurdist theater that people like like Samuel Beckett or Tom Stoppard ever wrote. Mm. Right? Just yeah, and it ran the same, same time Written at about the same time, right? Because yeah. all, all of those, the, the absurdist theater was all written uh, after World War II. And there was right. all things like, haven't we already done this before? This is why, that's why the, the circular, the... The structure is always circular and stuff. Yeah. But this is right up there because this is one that no matter, I, I wonder, I mean, maybe this wasn't quite as relevant 10 years ago as it is now, but it mm. certainly is just so relevant now. What an amazing tonal balancing act too. Yeah. Like we're going to make a movie about the end of the world and it's going to be funny. Yeah. But this is also going to be like played up to a degree of factual accuracy that most like historical dramas don't live up to. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's a comedy. I, I know, it's a comedy. And this is like back in 1964, this could still have happened. Oh yeah. Right, absolutely. this is about the same time I believe Khrushchev said we will bury you and things like that. I mean, this is right. like like not even a full year after the Bay of Pigs invasion and the Cuban Missile Crisis and Kennedy's assassination. Like this is all happening at this point and they're you're just gonna laugh about and it and kubrick was obsessed with reading a, uh i think this guy named Her- herbert cohen 
who's just a serious guy writing about the the arms race, nuclear weapons and stuff like that. And I think he's the the guy where Kubrick uh, first encountered that phrase megadeths. Yeah, right. Because like, megadeth is a measurement. Like one yeah, megadeth a is... a serious measurement for measuring how many people die right. in a nuclear <laughs> nuclear uh, war. I so, don't know the number, but like one megadeth, potentially like a million people or something. So if you're talking about like 30 megadeths, I mean, that's just so many let's people. Let's find out real quick. It's so dumb. Yeah. So dumb. Hey, Suri, how much is a megadeth? Oh, okay. So I was right. I was right. Just my guess. Yeah, that's that's right. A million deaths. So if you're talking about 30 mega deaths, that's 30 million people. By the way, can I just say that's my favorite Siri moment ever? That's pretty (laughs) good. What's a (laughs) beautiful Siri moment right there? Um, Here we go. Strange Love moves on. Strange Love moves on. Yeah, I mean, you you can't not choose it. Yeah. Um, Is that Kubrick's Kubrick's only uh, comedy? No, Lolita is also really funny. Oh, really? Yeah. Isn't that funny? Lolita is really funny. I guess he has a good way of um, tackling uh, taboo subjects. In a... So I think it's time for me to choose this time yeah. first, yes. right? All right. All right. I'm going to go with one that, I mean, I think we've reached the point now where we can basically uh, agree that this was a starting point for a great filmmaker's career and kind of, in retrospect, a turning point in filmmaking. John Carpenter's Halloween. Mm. That's funny. Did you you guys both listen to the Hot Boys? Podcast? Yeah, yeah. Because the last at that on that podcast, yeah. I debated Myricks on why I didn't think that's as good as it. You know, like I I went back and rewatched it, but um, I just didn't think it like you know I think it gets higher praise than other movies certainly do. Our debate was whether or not Nightmare on Elm Street or Halloween, which one was the oh better for one. sure, and for I was sure. like. Nightmare on Elm Street all the way, to which point I just recently rewatched Halloween because I hadn't seen it for so long. Right. And it didn't change my mind. Mm. However, what do you got? Yeah, I'm curious to see what... uh, Yeah, uh, Halloween is okay. It's not even my favorite Carpenter movie, though. It's not mine either. Okay. I just think it's the one that most people would like. Right. And when it comes to horror, it is uh, a real um, groundbreaker. But... I guess. Save it. I guess. All right. I'm going to stay in franchise mode. And, you know, Kelly, when you told me to pick something a bit more modern, I chose a movie that was only 40 years old. <laughs> and uh, I went with The Empire Strikes Back. Right. So the I went Empire for Empire Strikes Back versus Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> this is, that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. And they're actually probably like a couple years apart. Yeah, uh, exactly. 78 and 1980. Yeah, because yeah. Halloween is 78, I think. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, once... A much bigger movie. Yeah. Oh, um, for sure. I, I, I think I explained. I go first this time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're all. They're I don't all know if franchises. it really matters, but um, Empire Strikes Back originally, you know what what you said, Kelly, about how The Hobbit and stuff is kind of right muddled your opinion of the Fellowship of the Ring yep. and things like that. Mm. Originally, I didn't put The Empire Strikes Back because, and I know I've used the word perfect once already, and there's not a lot of movies that I use it for. But I the re, there's a reason why there are two in my list, and because I think The Empire Strikes Back is another one. A reason I didn't put it in first is because I think if you weren't really so enraptured by the original Star Wars, then you have no real reason to watch The Empire Strikes Back. But at the end of the day, we're just talking about one movie. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about franchises as a whole. Right, I'm just talking right, about right, individual right, right. movies. So I think The Empire Strikes Back... Regardless of how you feel about Star Wars, if you can't see the storytelling merits of The Empire Strikes Back, 
there's something wrong with you. And I'll tell you why. Because this is chapter two of a three-part story. And part one is, is very much like a, a typical sort of fish-out-of-water fantasy story. In fact, it is largely based on Lord of the Rings, where you've got someone who is coming from some sort of rural background facing against a dark lord who is accompanied by a group of people, right? Very similar to Lord of the Rings. But The Empire Strikes Back is the second chapter, and it is that part of the story where everything goes wrong. And this is the time when you are most invested because the the heroes that you were first invested with are now really struggling, and that's what really makes something very intriguing. And it's why the current Star Wars the sequel series really failed because, like, Ray doesn't struggle at all in the in the current... I don't know how familiar you are with the new Star Wars uh, movies. I've seen all but the most recent. Okay. Well, there's no reason to watch the most recent one because uh, by the end of the second sequel movie, the main villain has been killed and every other villain is really incompetent and weak. And it doesn't like matter. I feel like she's going to go up against that... Uh, giant hologram guy. No, because he dies in the second one. Oh, I forgot about so that. So there's no, there's no threat, there's no menace. But if you look at The Empire Strikes Back, from the very beginning, there's a reason why it's called The Empire Strikes Back, is because from the very beginning, these plucky band of rebels, they're found out, they have to, they have to leave or the Empire is coming. They don't leave on time, the Empire gets there, and they have to retreat. They're not even fighting. Like, they're... Um, that bit where they're like doing a rope around the the big walkers is more of just like a delay tactic, right? Like mm-hmm. they have to go. But even before that, Luke Skywalker has been kidnapped by this abominable snowman mm. and is almost killed in that sense. And then later as the movie goes on, they're betrayed by the only person they know. Um, Luke Skywalker is not ready to go face Darth Vader, but because his friends are captured and kidnapped, he has to. Like he has to go face this person, and Darth Vader has his way with him. He kicks his ass entirely because he is a superior fighter. Luke Skywalker gets his arm cut off, and by the end of the movie, there's just this great sense of menace and danger. And from a storytelling perspective, it really puts your heroes in a very interesting and very intriguing position because, you know, they don't know that they're going to survive, and you, the audience, are... are you have a reason to go see the third one. Mm. And this is such a big contrast to the new Star Wars because at the end of The Last Jedi, you had no reason to go see the third one. And I didn't. Right. And that's why when I, I did go see the third one, I didn't care. Mm. I didn't. I, I just, it was like, uh, I guess it was fine, but it's just hard to care at this point. So what are they, what are they, what are they, uh, what's the motive in the third one? What's the uh, they, what's the because they kill off the big hologram guy, they bring back the emperor. Oh, okay. So they have to That's kill. so stupid. <laughs> What's that so guy's name? Like, Palpatine. No, no. Oh, the... Darth, Darth Snoke. Snoke. Supreme Snoke. Leader Snoke. 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 So Snork. <laughs> they kill off Snoke in the second one. And then there's a, there's a great moment in the, the Rise of Skywalker where they're like, they show this, they show this uh, like the, the Palpatine's room or something, and they get like tanks full of Snokes. Like he literally created him and like dozens others. Oh, okay. That's fun. But... Well, it was just silly. Like it's just retconning yeah. everything yeah. just because of how dumb the second one was. But there's none of that that exists in The Empire Strikes Back. I think The Empire Strikes Back is just masterful storytelling mm. because the characters have to, are are faced with decisions that they don't want to make, but they have to make, and they always must make the more dangerous choice because the stakes are real and their friends are in danger. It's just it's this is great storytelling, mm. and that's why The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, is the best of the Star Wars movies, and I still maintain it is 
It's a perfect movie. Great. Let's let it move on. Uh, and, <laughs> and I must say the best improvised line ever um, when Princess Leia says, I love you. Mm. Han Solo's like, I know. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's such, it was an improvised line by Harrison Ford. Because he was supposed so to great. say, I love you. Or, right. I love you too. And he said, right. that's, not, that's not Harrison Ford. Right. But, but yeah, that's no, that's not Han Solo. That's not mm-hmm. Han Solo. Yeah. But that's, that is another thing. Like I forgot to mention of all those troubles, like getting the arm cut off. Yeah. Han Solo's frozen in carbonite. Right. So like all the heroes are screwed. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I do have a good relationship with the original three in the, in the series because when I was a kid, uh, my grandmother had bought them for us on VHS. So yeah. when you're a kid and you only have VHSs and three channels on your television, we watched Star Wars again and again and again. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean I'm a big Star Wars nerd because I'm not, mm-hmm. but I've seen it and this is definitely the best one to show you how out of touch George Lucas is. This is his least favorite one. So, f- that's so weird. <laughs> that is his least that's favorite so Star weird. Wars. The Empire Strikes Back. You know, it's funny though. I went through a similar experience with you. Like I grew up with two channels, three channels mm. and me and my brother would watch the original trilogy on VHS so many times. Mm-hmm. And especially this one. We love this one right. so much. Uh, I think the big thing about this thing, this whole contest we're having is when you're showing, you know, a general audience or let's say your friends a movie they haven't seen before. Mm. Are you showing it to them because you're like, well, everyone else likes this movie, so you should too? Or are you showing it to them because it's like, this might be a little bit outside your comfort zone, but trust me, if you watch this, it'll be worth it. Mm. And I think that's what this conversation is really about. Yeah, And that's why I think Halloween, well, I mean, who doesn't like Empire Strikes Back? It's a brilliant movie. And I, I'm gonna rewatch it so many times. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's an incredible film. Halloween is a different sort of film. It doesn't didn't have the budget, the prestige of Star Wars. It wasn't a blockbuster movie. It wasn't a movie where they had they could do anything they wanted. And in large part, you know, this movie about this psychotic kid who grows up and escapes from an insane asylum to kill people. It was the product of a low budget, of not really having any resources. And John Carpenter drew on some you know, horror writing from the past to kind of get at this idea that, well, maybe the less you see something, the scarier it is. Mm. Maybe if we deny the audience seeing the monster or whatever it, it may be, whatever is frightening you, the better it is. And this movie is kind of an exercise in minimalism in filmmaking which okay it it might not be something that uh is as spectacular as something like star wars but it gets at a deeper psychological reality you know because star wars is great sort of joseph campbell style filmmaking it's like the hero's journey you know but this is kind of more about like what what are you actually scared of? What are people actually afraid of? What What is your psychology actually about? Mm. And the idea of this kind of mask with nothing behind it, this guy who you have to project your own fears and, and your own kind of worries and anxieties up, upon, this kind of empty slate, is much more frightening and much more psychologically real than say, you know, The Empire Strikes Back or really any franchise sort of film because they can't really be that way. They're, they're kind of made for general audiences. They're made to be entertaining. 
this movie is made to disturb you. Mm. And it does that on every level with almost nothing to work with. I mean, he famously got the mask for Mike Myers. It was a William Shatner mask mm-hmm. that they painted white and they spent a dollar sixty on or a dollar ninety nine on. I mean, I guess just the like the country boy in me loves the idea of this upstart filmmaking team right. with nothing mm-hmm. taking on the world and winning. Absolutely. And while The Empire Strikes Back is the story about characters who do that, Halloween is about a group of filmmakers, real people who actually do that. Mm -hmm. And that's what Halloween is, more than anything. It's a model for how to make movies with nothing, which as a filmmaker, as someone who comes from the indie world, and we're all kind of in the indie world right now. Yep, you can do it. That's an inspiring thing. But as a movie itself... I mean, it just sets the template for the whole idea of denying what you want to see to make the effect stronger. Mm. And that as a principle of filmmaking, I mean, this is is exactly why Star Wars went wrong. It's because they started showing everything that they thought the audience wanted to see. I mean, take the special editions, right? Why did they suck? Oh God! Because he shows you the monster. He shows right. you that close-up of the monster that wasn't in the original. Right. And that no one ever really wanted to see. And it sucks because it ruins that fantasy part and of your mind. And it looked awful. Yeah, of course. And so if he had just taken a John Carpenter Halloween approach to filmmaking and said, right. you know what, we don't need to show everything well hold on i'm not i'm not advocating the special edition of the empire strikes back no but what i'm saying is clearly labeled 1980 on this card of course (laughs) but the (laughs) principles of filmmaking that this film lays down the actual film itself what it spawned the legacy of this movie the influence of this movie the filmmaking style i mean i read an article a few years back which said you know what maybe john carpenter is actually the new godfather of modern filmmaking because everyone's basically an indie filmmaker now. Everyone's coming from nothing, unless you're doing a Marvel movie. Who laid the, the template for that? It was John Carpenter. Mm. He also does his own goddamn soundtracks. Right. You know? And that, some of them are very iconic, just like this one. I mean, he tours his music now. Mm. I had a friend who went to see John Carpenter and his son in tour. He's not even touring his films. Mm. He's touring his music. I mean, think about the influence and legacy of that. So, I mean, I guess the in, in terms of the time we're living in, you got the legacy of franchise filmmaking, and God love it, Empire Strikes Back is a movie that I will watch probably hundreds of more times. But if you want to talk about a movie, like anything you introduce to your friends, where it's like, I want you to see this because I think it'll change you, it'll be Halloween. Wow. <laughs> he shakes his head. <laughs> no, uh... I've I've debated Halloween before. Right. You've done it much better than John Myricks did. <laughs> See that, John? Yeah. Um uh absolutely. But I did go back and watch it uh recently, so I've seen it in the last in the last four three months. Right. I've seen it. And uh and and it was it was better than I thought, but it also in in the argument that I was having on um uh, you know, 
where it stands in horror movies, uh, which I don't deny that it's very important, and I totally respect about the independent and the um, and the feet on the ground real way of making a movie where it's like we got a team and we have a budget and we're going to use what we can get our hands on. Right. So we're going to line up shots as we have this house and this house is going to be one day it's a cultural icon. Right. You know, so um, so I really admire it. Uh, and, and I do have a lot more respect for it than I did when I did my last podcast talking about it. The horror movie, hot boys, folks, nothing's really real. Episode number 67. <laughs> I, I recommend it as a listener. Um, no, that was seriously one of my favorite episodes. Yeah. I, done. And that's, and that's why I was so willing to do this one with you guys, especially before I get out of here. But, um, let's see. Uh, but I do have to move the empire strikes back. Uh, well, that's on. a fair, I, this I was, is a tough one. This is a tough one though, because, because I, Here's the deal. I'll go check out every ah, uh, not the last one. Apparently, uh, <laughs> yeah. they're getting worse and worse. <clears throat> yeah. They're getting really worse and worse. But I, I'm, I'm a Star Wars fan. Not a huge nerd about it. Like, you know. Well, I'll tell you, Disney has kind of <laughs> killed my nerd off about yeah. Star Wars. I, yeah. I sometimes wonder: Am I still a Star Wars fan? Who is passionate about Star Wars, and that's why I'm upset by the current Disney Star Wars, or I just do I just not give a shit anymore? But you're right. This is the best Star Wars. I, this is the best. The Empire Strikes I, like, Back I is would, the I'd only. I'd be able to tell you that. Yeah, it's the only reason why Star Wars has such a high reputation in the first place. Right. Is the Empire Strikes Back? No, you're right. I mean, I can't say anything bad about it. Yeah. I just wanted to say good things about this. No, absolutely. (laughs) And and I'm glad you did because uh, the listener needs to hear that because I think I demolished John Myricks when I told him that Nightmare (laughs) on Elm Street is a better, more more, uh, groundbreaking horror movie than uh, Halloween. Well, see that, John, (laughs) going back in the trash. What do you think about that? What do you think about that, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street? And I'm going to give you 15 seconds to talk about it uh, against Halloween. I mean, I'm I'm with John. Yeah, I'm with John in the argument. Mm. I think, yeah, you did make a good argument for for Nightmare. Um, I just my instincts go towards John Carpenter. I, he just I I love him so much. Sure, He's and, such a and great that's filmmaker. why he, spoiler alert, wins the uh, the competition. That right. competition, not Halloween, but John Carpenter does still win. The thing right. is, my favorite horror movie of all time. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic, yeah. and it's it's a movie that I think it's a better movie by John Carpenter. I just don't think it's one where if I was introducing it to a general audience, mm. I would pick first. Mm. I would pick Halloween first, okay, because it's a little bit easier to get into. The thing is a little bit more th- intense. I think the thing is yeah. uh, better for a first, like a first, because I think Halloween still has a little bit of a boring factor. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you, Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. Not and everybody's going to Actually, the thing would have been into. perfect against Empire Strikes Back because it's yeah, almost maybe. the same time period. It's in the snow. Yeah, yeah, you know? that's yeah, that's yeah. A, that would have been um, that been a good been fight. A, that would have been a yeah. good fight. No, I, I agree with you, Kelvin. I think uh, I think that Halloween is a little bit on the boring side, but I do love the thing. But it's good. But you it's, guys are but, both but it, wrong. But that's okay. <laughs> but it's also okay that it's boring because it's 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 a valuable. Okay, who? Let's go. All right, who goes first this time? I mean. We're basically. Uh, I picked first last time. You go. You go next. Okay. We're 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 neck and neck, aren't we? No. Wait. 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 You, Halloween went second. Yeah. So, so I go first this you time. You go. Yeah, I go <laughs> no, first no, no, this no, time. No. <laughs> no, you explain yeah. first this time. Yeah. Yeah. So but I, I lay down first. first. No, you lay down first, yeah. and he okay. explains. Yeah. yeah. All okay. right. I'm gonna save one. This one for last, and I'm um. 
I don't know what Tim will think of this one. This is uh, 1959, Some Like It Hot. You see, I knew you were going to pick that, too. What? I knew you were going to pick This wasn't Empire even my Strikes original Back, suggestion. This was my wife's Some suggestion. Like <laughs> um, I knew you were going to pick... What was the other one I thought you were going to pick? Strange um, Love. Strange Love. Dr. Strange Love, Some Like It Hot, and um, Empire Strikes oh, give Back. Me, uh, I just knew it. That's surprising. This wasn't even my idea. Do I, I have... Don't know. Uh, that's but yeah, well done. You 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 know me, I guess. <laughs> no, I mean it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, I feel weird putting this down next to it, but I'm gonna have to put uh, "There Will Be Blood." <laughs> that is a you're, an interesting you're, choice. You got an uphill battle though. I do because, a little uh, bit, but that because is an I really choice. like I like this. It's not the um, PTA movie I would have chose, but mm, dude, let's see. what would you have chosen? The Master. Ah, okay. I see. I see. I like that more in some ways, but I but think it's I harder think, for a general audience. You know what? Yeah, I think for a general audience, it's a little yeah. more yeah. difficult to get it. Okay. Well, for so, the record, that's my favorite PTA movie. But. So you explain first. No, wait. You didn't even give, show us what we were up against, right? He's doing "There Will Be Blood." Oh yeah, let's go. Let's hear it. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> All right. So, um, I I think I have to start talking about this movie by by talking about the first time I saw it. And I saw it on an old tube TV in my parents' basement. Wow. I wow. rented it on DVD after I'd graduated. And I was kind of going through a rough period in my life where I really didn't feel like I had any direction. And I used to stay up super late. And uh, I think probably part of me was kind of like, well, I want to stay up and watch movies. And I don't want to have to interact with people during the daytime. So I'm going to mostly live my life at night. And so I rented this movie, having heard about it, and Paul Thomas Anderson directed it. Now, at this point in my life, I fucking hated Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm. I'd seen Magnolia, I'd seen Punch Drunk Love, which I hated at that time. I'm like, this is the most pretentious, young, wannabe, artsy director I've ever seen. Hmm. It's a huge Radiohead fan. I hated Paul Thomas Anderson. So I turn on this movie that's supposedly great. You know, it's got nominated for a bunch of Oscars. Daniel Day-Lewis is in it. I was intrigued that Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead did the soundtrack. And I watch it. And the first 20, 30 minutes basically changed my opinion of everything he had done before. Mmm. So I'm like, you have the audacity to start off this two-and-a-half-hour movie as a silent film Mm. with this dissonant soundtrack, with this guy insanely hitting a rock over and over and over again and expecting to get rich. And that same sort of thing with Apocalypse Now where it's like you're just getting into the insanity of a certain sort of lifestyle in a certain period of time. Um, that was the first 20 minutes and then the film continues and it gets to the heart of what people who want to become capitalists have to give up, Mm. which is everything. You give up your basic humanity. You give up your son. You give up anything that basically made you human, which is why Paul Thomas Anderson said, I'm going to, this is basically a horror movie. You know, this movie about an oil man who basically who tries to become rich, it's basically a horror movie. And we're going to shoot it as if he's kind of like a vampire. 
because he kind of is. Mm. He's constantly taking from other people. He's willing to exploit anything to make it big. So the movie finishes. I'm in my parents' basement. I'm watching this on this little tube TV. It's probably three or four in the morning. I immediately started up again and rewatch it. Wow. Mm. And I watched the whole thing through again. And at that moment, when I finished it the second time, I'm like, I don't care if I, it makes me rich or poor or whatever. I got to do something with movies. Because mm. this wow. is, I don't know exactly what he's doing here, but this is like exactly the sort of thing I want to be into for the rest of my life. Yeah, man. And... um the music, I mean, if I can just talk about the music for a second. Johnny Greenwood, this was his second foray into to film scoring. He did Body Song first, which is a soundtrack that I'd heard to this weird documentary. Uh, I heard that back in, in, in university. But this is the first time where I really heard him flex his muscles as a composer. Can I interrupt you and ask you, how, how old was uh, is that, that first Johnny Greenwood track? Because this is 2007. This I thought, was I thought 2003. This Okay, because I thought this song. might have been his first. I didn't know about Body Song. Yeah, and actually a lot of the tracks, the reason it was disqualified for, for being nominated for an Oscar is because he used pre-existing music for this. For uh, There Will Be Blood? or He used a track from Body Song oh. for There Will Be Blood. Oh, I that, see. That drum track Yeah. The, uh, for when the oil, oil derrick blows up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think this movie not only kind of solidified the fact that I wanted to be involved with, with movies for the rest of my life. But it just said so much about what it takes to become good at anything in our society. Hmm. The level of sacrifice and how inhuman it, it makes people to like get ahead. You know, it was no coincidence that the Iraq war was in full swing when this movie about oil was being made, you know, he, he made that clear when he did an interview on the Henry Rollins show. He was talking about it. Um, I think, it, it, like Apocalypse Now, it kind of gets to that level of humanity by looking at a historical event where you, it, it forces you to reflect upon, well, what am I willing to do? You know, what would I be willing to give up? It's the capitalist counterpoint to the war movie that... The, apocalypse now is and again it's like one of those movies where i everyone i've shown it to has been transformed by it in some way Mm -hmm. you know blue collar people back home i said watch this movie and they they couldn't exactly tell me what they liked about it they just liked it yeah because they understood like all right you got a father and his child it's not his his kid he's trying to get ahead i get that you know, I can understand that. It's an incredible thing for a filmmaker to be like, well, I'm going to try to make this incredibly kind of like artsy, transformative movie. But, you know, electricians can get it. Mm. You know, fishermen can understand this movie. Yeah, that that is something really strange about the movie because, the you know, maybe the first time, second time... I, I've seen it a few times, and I I'm just so enthralled by the characters, yeah, and yeah. just the just the level of acting that actually goes into these almost cartoonish characters that well, are just especially so, Daniel Plainview, like, yeah, he's so over the top, yeah, he but is, he, but he's so believable, and it's just so like authentic. this this person is real, 
Yes. That's a lot. That's really common with Daniel Day Lewis's acting is he somehow he chooses the scenery in a lot of his movies, but will still like you still believe that is how someone could behave. Mm. And he, you know, it's one of those where I think if you're a young acting student and you say, I really want to emulate I like Daniel Day Lewis is my hero. I think many people, many teachers and stuff would say like, nah, don't don't yeah. tr- don't try to be Daniel Day Lewis, you know, because then you will just suck and mm. you're just going to. You're just going to chew the scenery and overact all the time. Well, and can I just mention this brilliant thing that Paul Thomas Anderson does at the beginning of the film? Yeah. Where early on, Daniel Day-Lewis is is mining for silver, right? And he's in this little hole just Mm -hmm. hacking away at this wall. And he climbs up, and at one point, he kind of falls down and breaks his leg. Right. And you see him crawl, you know... Past to the mountain, just yeah. The open civilization kind of just shows the desert heat. You don't actually know where he's going, but just you come out of the hole, and all you see is like desert and mountain, and then and then he's lying on the floor, right? In a in a uh, kind of just a town, like a mining thing, just a just a room, right? There's guys. He made it. Obviously, he survived. He made it. What's brilliant about that scene is that I watched that. The first few times, I'm like, all right, I mean, like, whatever else he does in this movie, he really, you know, went through hell in this moment. Mm -hmm. You know, he broke his leg. He had to crawl back. Like, obviously, this guy is incredibly driven. And then I got to thinking about him, like, wait, how do we know that this town is far away? Right? Well, it Mm -hmm. looks like it's over the mountains. That doesn't mean it's that far, though. And then I actually looked in the script. The town's about a mile away. Oh. oh. Okay. Okay. That's not that far, right? But you, the viewer, don't necessarily know that. Unless well, that, you that's take exactly the time. it, though. Yeah. That's why he's a brilliant filmmaker, because at that moment, he forces you to decide, as a viewer, is this guy kind of a hero who goes wrong, or was he a fraud from the beginning? Mm. Oh, so he kind of tricked us even just in that scene. Right. Right. Interesting. What does every capitalist tell you? Well, I think I heard. I, I went through hell man, yeah. to get through to, to where yeah. I am. I've earned the the right to kind of be an asshole. Ah, yeah. So he was kind of just interesting. Yeah. That so is he kind of yeah. replicates that thing in the first. I'm like, that's brilliant. I've hmm. never seen that sort of thing. You know who talked about that scene? Like famously, it's like a viral video. Is Quentin Tarantino yeah, talks exactly. about that scene and he yeah. says exactly that is that like he crawled through the desert when we did a video and and a podcast about this right right? and i got dragged a lot on youtube for it's like well obviously he pans up to the mountains like it shows you it's far away i'm like well no i looked in the script it's a mile away it would be very tough to crawl a mile of course yes but it's a lot less tough than crawling 15 miles 20 (laughs) miles which yeah climbing up a mountain to get to the other side which it does look like it does look like we're going yeah well and not only that you don't know that he wasn't helped yeah he could have been rescued right upside right on the outside of the hole so like that one scene it tricks you into thinking he's earned we don't really know yeah do we yeah but actually he hasn't earned anything that's weird yeah and it does it does seem like that's so what a perfect uh that fits the character so well Mm, right yeah yeah because because i yeah i've definitely never thought of it like this right but boy what a twist now right at the very beginning and what a brilliant move as a filmmaker yeah you know 
That's crazy. That's also the kind of the only time you he doesn't I feel look, like... I'm, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. He doesn't look like he's been troubled too badly when he's lying on the floor in that... Right. In that, uh, just, we'll just call it a town's room. Right. Um, he... Obviously, he knows he's kind of struck big. Right. So that's on his mind. But he doesn't look worn and torn. He clearly has a broken leg. Yep. But he's... He already had that, though. He's happy. Right. You know, he's not, like, happy to be surviving. He's He's rich. not bleeding. He's, he's rich. Not, yeah. He's just, like, he's just lying there, and I'm like, look at that rich son of a bitch. Right. You know, so... Interesting. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I said that's also kind of the... That, that, part, that part where he falls is really the only time in the movie you actually sympathize with Daniel Plainview because he's such right. a rotten person yes, too. Right. For sure. But before you get to know him, he's just some guy trying to make it rich and he falls and he makes this really this noise of real pain yeah, over right. and over again. Right. And you know, after that, do you ever really sympathize with him ever again? Like that that at the beginning it kind of in that way as well I don't maybe think tricks so. he's you. Such a fucking asshole. He's awful. But like yeah. in that in that moment, <laughs> yeah. you kinda of do this like, oh man, that poor guy, he just he broke his leg. That's well, terrible. Look what he did to yeah. to, you know, get this piece of silver yeah. validated and monetized. You yeah. Know? Um I mean that's that's one of those great things when you see a movie and it's like, all right, this filmmaker is beyond me like this guy is thinking so far ahead that you cannot help but respect them mm. and again the film transforms you it changes you you know that's what we want out of movies mm. i think uh tony curtis and jack lemon dress up like girls it's fun <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> uh no i mean uh, I there will be blood it. is fantastic. I haven't seen. Uh, well, like no, I mean this is just a great comedy that is still funny, even though it was made in 1959. It's there's a lot of uh, some of the reasons why I pick these old movies is because a lot of old movies I find to be very dated, and even if they were big back at the time, even though they were uh, famous and influential, they haven't aged well. I got ripped apart on my the Facebook group that I belong to of, of film because I went on the record and talked about why I didn't like something like Bonnie and Clyde, for instance. And I recognize that that was an influential movie and things. But I think that's really aged quite poorly. But something like Some Like It Hot from 1959 has aged very well. It's still a, a movie that is very fun. And it's Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon who are running away from this gangster in Prohibition-era America. And they do they disguise themselves as women. Uh, because they're musicians and they start to play with this all-female band and mm -hmm. Marilyn Monroe's a part of it too but it's just it's just very endearing and it's still just very funny and I'm not trying too hard because I think There Will Be Blood is like the superior picture here but I Some Like It Hot's a great movie and if you don't like it then that's on you but uh, Some Like It You're Hot is schmuck. great You're a schmuck go watch Some Like It Hot it's awesome yeah I think I will watch it but, but I, it, yeah, that's I fine. I might watch There Will Be Blood. I'm going to say before there is there is something actually I, I wanted to talk about There Will Be Blood even more than yeah, uh, Something Like It Hot too. at this point. <laughs> One of my favorite details, little details of some like of uh, There Will Be Blood, um, is that he he names his son H W, which is like yeah. your business partner. Right. It's just the most impersonal name that you could think of. You know, like this yeah. is my son H W. Like. Did you give any thought to right. his name? Like what like he could be Henry William or something like that, but he's only referred to as HW. Like well, that that's your when partner's his brother's son's... name is Henry. Right. But I mean HW as your son, but he's but like 9 years old. The, but you yeah. you're right though. 
he his son was his business partner. But also well, that's basically but, their but that's relationship. The thing. He is more his business partner than he is his son. He doesn't yeah. have an emotional connection with his son. Oh, but that to me, just by the simple name of just saying right. this is my son H.W. Plainfield, right. H.W. Plainfield sounds like some sort of magnate or tycoon or something. Mm-hmm. When Doesn't I was sound back like... home at Christmas, uh, There Will Be Blood was on TV. Oh, yeah. And so it, we just caught the end uh, where he was talking to his son when he was growing up. Oh, yeah. And the, yeah. the bastard in a basket scene. Yeah. You know, I thank God I'm not like you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's just, I didn't realize how brutal that was. I mean, yeah. I, I remembered it being terrible. But uh, when, yeah. when we first started this conversation, I was like the master above. Uh, yeah. it, it's because when I was making my list, of course, I had to have one of these two. Back when I did this movie thing in the early episodes with Durso, I had There Will Be Blood. Right. But... I had then I had kind of like the uh, Kubrick thing. The more recent movie I'd watched was The Master, and right. uh, then just I mean, thinking uh, something about Paul Thomas Anderson. I think, and I used to say this about Adam Sandler right. and Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, and uh, Daniel Day Lewis, and and then and numerous other characters. Is he brings the best out of actors? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Just like yeah. somehow he's able to get them to go into a place that maybe we, I mean, it's just so believable and so far from reality. Um, and that's a hard thing to pull off. It really is. It really is. And especially like you just, you you get it with people that you don't even expect it from. And I think maybe at that point when Joaquin was in, uh, the the master uh, mm. i don't know too many and i might be totally wrong mm. but movies and and roles that he'd done that were just like completely mind-blowing yeah which which i think his role in the master is that's and, definitely one of his career highlights and 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 now he's becoming with the joker and you know he's getting acclaim and people are really well, maybe he always has had it you know i remember seeing um you know Mel Gibson talking about how uh, incredible of an actor he is when they did signs together, and right. I'm like, what? Yeah. He was just like kind of a you know. Yeah. For me, I didn't really think he was that important yeah. in that movie, and I but do like that movie her quite too. a lot. But you know, he got, I think oh, he got quite a bit of a claim sure for that. her, yeah. 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 But that was after Master. That was more recently. It was, yeah. But I think I and and I might be wrong. I'd have to look at his IMDb or something and just think of because uh, I do know for a fact that he's. St- extremely well respected and he was before these roles yeah um but you know he's really right now at a point where it's just like and i mean the master and philip seymour hoffman in that movie as well oh god Uh, yeah yeah. i just recently started like just making sure i've seen everything he's been in right and i hit just this week i watched happiness Mm -hmm. which i'd never seen um I just don't really know, man. But you know, like that's a that's a weird that's a. I mean, when you say dark comedy, I think that's. Have well, you he seen was that? Are oh, you talking about Philip Seymour Hoffman or Joaquin Phoenix? Trying to make no, sure you've seen Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip okay. Hoffman. Yeah. But I, I, I'm not really in love with his character in in uh, in, in Happiness. But uh, that talk about a dark film. Are you you've seen it? You've seen it? I haven't no. seen Happiness. I can't tell you if I'd recommend it. I don't really know where it like the importance of it at all. Or I, I don't yeah. know what the takeaway is besides, boy, that's um extremely uncomfortable. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's more uncomfortable yeah. than it is. I mean, it has it's, some great moments. It's definitely a it's definitely a comedy. Yeah, right. 
it's a sad dark comedy. I love movies like that though. I mean, that's yeah, why Marriage I, Story is my favorite movie of the year. But it's I, much darker than I couldn't say. I couldn't say it's a bad movie, right? Because um, it's not a bad movie. Uh, but I could say it's a little. It's, it's hard a to watch. Little bit, yeah. It's definitely yeah. something that you could accidentally put on with mom, uh, and then just be like, okay, let's just. Watch Letterman. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like putting blazing saddles on for an Ethiopian. Right, sure, sure. I had the pleasure of uh, seeing Philip Seymour Hoffman on stage. Wow, oh man, so lucky. In about 2011 or so, in um, Death of a Salesman, which was directed by Mike Nichols. Wow, man, man. And uh, Andrew Garfield was in that too. And uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman played the Willie Loman character. I don't know how familiar you are with that play. No, I'm, I'm ba- basically not at all. Well, it's just one of those, you know, I'm 60 years old. I've been chasing the American dream my whole life, and I failed kind of thing. And It's kind of like the American version of Waiting for Godot in some ways. Yeah, in a, in a, in a sense. But, uh, boy, that was just such, a, such an honor watching. Such a privilege seeing Philip Seymour Hoffman in a Mike Nichols play. I feel like he's <laughs> wow. kind of uh, he's also like Joaquin. I feel like, you know, this year... <sighs> You know, maybe he wasn't getting he he did a lot of secondary characters that were really standout secondary characters. Right. Um, but a master. You know, yeah. and one of those guys that like, you know, didn't quite um the the he didn't quite hit his peak yet. Even yeah. though he might he might have, mm. I feel like there's still a role, a mainstream undeniable role like let's say it's Joaquin maybe it might it might be the Joker with Joaquin right now right you know where it's just like new audiences because he's done you know not fucking probably less nobody saw the master nobody watched it yeah you know I mean, what I mean? It's the Joker because I've talked to people who have like I've never heard of Joaquin Phoenix before especially like some Koreans I've talked to it's like I've never heard of Joaquin Phoenix but I saw Joker and I started looking into him yeah right and I watched, you know, Walk the Line or something like that. And oh, it's like, wh- what a great movie. That's one. Yeah, that's one, too. That's one of his that uh, stands out. Well, he, he won the Oscar in for retrospect, that. He's, hmm? He won the Oscar for that. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's incredible. Yeah. I don't I, I don't I don't have all the details and facts, so I might be missing some shit when I'm saying that, you know, it never broke for Philip Seymour Hoffman. But, you know, he died too fucking early is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Oh, yes. Yeah. And uh, boy, let's hope that fucking Joaquin doesn't die before he is. Seriously. Yeah. Because uh, I think we're going to see a lot more from him. Stop smoking, by the way, Joaquin. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Does he stop smoke? smoking? Yeah. I don't think he gives a shit about anything, man. He's such he's really kinda out there, isn't he? Well, he he also like he's um he's going out with um what's that actress's name? I don't know. I don't know who he's going out with these days. The uh the woman in the girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh her. I don't know her name, but I know who you're (laughs) talking about. Okay. Well he seems to have a good life, is what I'm saying. Like he seems to be doing the roles he wants to do. He has a great girlfriend who's an amazing actress. He has so much respect. And um, I think he went through such a hard time. He's one of those people who went through a hard time early on in his life when River Phoenix died. Right. And he had his 911 call. I've never heard that. to the press. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You can hear it. Oh, my God. You you can look this up online. And it's he had to deal with that. Not not only that, but, I mean, he grew up in kind of a cult. And... um, he had an incredibly arduous and like kind of difficult early life. 
Interesting. And if you want to see like kind of a representation of that, there's a movie by Sidney Lumet called Running on Empty, which is starring River Phoenix. And it's like kind of about their early life. Wow. And yeah, it's... Pretty Can cool. I? Where? Where's the? Uh, oh, is it? Yeah, right there. Here, okay, that goes on. We have. And we've uh, got the last. We've we got one the last each. one, and then we're gonna. We'll probably be able to steamroll through these. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, afterward, but uh, uh, the yeah. last two. So, so Tim so, picks first, and then I uh, I explain first. I put, I put well, we've uh, we got one reveal. left. So um, my last one is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's also going to be the subject of our next podcast. Mm, yeah. And it's a movie that also transformed my life. Blue Velvet. Interesting. Never seen it. My favorite movie. Uh, my next movie is also one of my favorite movies of all time, and it also transformed my life. Wow. This is the first movie I ever loved in my life. Casino. It, it is The Time Machine from 1960. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Do you do you not like Casino? No, I do. But okay, I quite... I've heard him talk about Casino oh, before. Really? Okay, hold That's on. my favorite Corsa- Scorsese movie. Casino is the movie that made me love movies as an art form right but the time machine is the first movie i ever saw when i was a kid that i just said i love this thing this is i love okay. this movie I'm, i get and i haven't an, seen either of these, and so as an adult i still love this movie and it goes beyond nostalgia it goes beyond a childhood connection i think there's just something inevitably awesome about 1960s the time machine tell me what it's about Okay, so it stars uh, it stars Rod Taylor, who's also in The Birds. Did you ever see The Birds? Mm-mm. He plays Winston Churchill in Inglorious Bastards. Wait, is uh, The Birds Hitchcock? Yep. Yeah, okay. He's the the main guy in, in The Birds. He's also Winston Churchill uh, in Inglorious Bastards, Bastards as an old man. Um, and the voice of Pongo in uh, 101 Dalmatians from the 50s. Well, now we're talking. Yeah, he's the voice of the, the, the husband Dalmatian. Um, the Time Machine is about this guy named George in 1899 on the verge of 1900. Victorian inventor who invents this time machine. It's based on the H.G. Wells novel of the same name. And um, he goes into the far future. I want to say he goes into the 800,000s. And the movie is a little different than the book because the book is for, the movie is from 1960. And so, again, it's like Dr. Strangelove. It's a Cold War thing. And along the way into the 800,000s, he stops into different periods of time where nuclear war is a real thing. And there's this thing where, um, you know, that air raid siren goes off and people have to go into bunkers. He goes into the 800,000s and finds that there's this group of kind of just people who are not civilized they don't have a real society or anything they just kind of do what they want they eat the fruit off of the trees and they they frolic and they play they don't read they don't learn they're called the Eloy and every now and then in the 800,000s they'll hear an air raid siren that comes from this building with this weird face statue on it it's kind of like this ancient Egyptian sort of style thing where it's just like a head a marble head and the air raid siren goes on, and they all go into this trance, and then they go underground, and he has to figure out why, what's going on. And it turns out that there's this subterranean race of humanoid-like monsters... Chud. ...called the Morlocks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chud. ...who are eating the Eloy, right? So they kind of let the Eloy do what they want until it's time for them to, to feed, and they just sort of bring the Eloy down into their, their subterranean era and area. And so the plot is that he's got a, George has, has to, um, 
stop this. Like he's he's going to try and rescue the Eloi so that they do not eaten by the Morlocks. The Morlocks do not speak. The Morlocks have also no society. The only thing that you ever see is that once you get down into their lair, they have managed to build steam technology and stuff. But other than that, they are blue and they've got this crazy white hair and like this white hair on their arms and they wear these loincloths. And my favorite thing about the time machine in particular is uh, all the amazing set pieces. It's all it's all sets. Like you go into the subterranean lair of the Morlocks and there's all these big machines that they actually built for this movie. And there's all sorts of steam coming out and things like that. And it's just got such great use of miniatures. I'm pretty sure that that building with the the big head on it is a miniature that they filmed um and there's some lo- a lot of great stunt works because the the morlocks are really really primitive and ape-like and things and they're always jumping around and and fighting him and things like that and it's one of those things that i really miss about new movies i really appreciate older movies when they just sort of have the camera sit down and let you watch a fight scene mm-hmm. so you're watching george punch and kick and just fight all these Morlocks that are jumping. All these actors are doing these fabulous stunts and things like jumping and falling and things like that. And the camera's just sitting there and just letting you right. watch We're it. We're not cutting into a, uh, a a dodged punch and then yeah. and then next we you know, in super zoomed in yeah, so no. you can't really see what's going There's on. There's no shaky cam. Good. It just it sits back and you're watching all of these great costumes, all this great makeup, all this in front of this great set that's all that's there. Um, and you're, you're watching this and it's just a great, wonderful sense of adventure. And I think I first saw this movie when I was about four years old or five years old. And we were living in Egypt at the time and we had it recorded on this VHS because we were in Egypt at the time. At some point it cut for the call to prayer, the Muslim call to prayer. (laughs) And I would always have to fast forward through that big to get back to the actual movie. But like, that's how long I've been watching this movie. And it's one Mm -hmm. This may be the movie I've seen the most in my life. I wow. just, I still just think the time machine is so much fun. And it's in, think, it's in color. It's not it, in black and white. You think it holds up? Like you think anybody could pop it in and just appreciate yeah. it? I've shown this movie to people, and they always just say like, "That was a really fun movie." I've never met anyone who just said, "No, nah, it wasn't for me." Like it's just, it's just a fun. A fun movie. Everyone is at least really impressed by the way that the Morlocks look. Whether it's, I think, I think it's a bit of both costume and makeup. But um, because especially, I mean, I'm not really sure what you would call like hair glued onto people's arm. That might be hair, uh, costume, or makeup. But yeah, the they're blue. They look great. They're they're frightening. They've got these sort of like yellow eyes that glow. You know, like the way that cats' eyes will glow in the dark. Mm. These Morlocks, like their eyes will just always kind of have that glow to them. That sounds kind of like an inspiration for Avatar, potentially. Maybe, but they're in Avatar, they're more like kind of lemur-like or cat-like. They're much Mm. more just pure gorilla and ape-like and barbaric and the time machine. machine. Because they're subterranean and they haven't, like George. So what's the the point though? Like he just goes ahead and then what's the story? What's like the, like the, message what's the oh well, it's a cold war movie so it's just it's um it's just i guess showing you the dangers of the you know the air raid siren in the cold war and things like that and does but, he go well i guess maybe spoiler alert but he, he wants to go back home 
Um, no, because in the in the book, the Eloy they can't communicate with him mm. in the book because they like they speak through some weird whistling noise or something. But in the movie, I guess because it's 1960, they all have to be able to speak English and stuff. So there's a bit of a love story involved. But to me, I don't think that's why you really watch it. You just watch it for just the fun adventure and the time travel. And it like, sounds like a fun movie. The way that because he doesn't just go straight to the eight hundred thousands. Like he'll stop several mm. places along the way. Because he starts off in 1899, but so he obviously obviously has no idea about World War One or two and things like, like that. I feel like this movie could be. You said it was recently remade, but it sounds shitty. Um, but I feel like it could be darkly remade with kind of some some of the same, uh, you know, we'll say Dark Knight slash Joker sort of like dark futuristic. Uh, Blade Runner. I suppose like we're not excited a, about the future, and yeah. it, it fucking hurts. Mm. So we could yeah. go with that angle. Well, that's that is that they do kind of go in that angle because he's really frustrated by things like like he expects great things in the future, and he mm. experiences two world wars. Yeah, in right. just you know forty years, and right. he's kind of frustrated by that. But maybe I think through by going so far into the future, he does find a purpose, and it is to save these people who are just being eaten alive by these horrible monsters. Did you say you read it? I've read the book too. Yeah, I'd like to do that. Yeah, maybe audio book it. Um, the the difference between the old movie and the new movie, and the new the old movie, they really try their very best to make everything look authentically Victorian, and I think they succeed. Like. The, the time machine itself just looks like it's just so ornately decorated in a Victorian way. And then the new 2002 version is just, this machine looks cool. And mm. it's just yeah it's not, as, not it's as interesting. Just, yeah, yeah, not no. as interesting. But yeah, uh, the time machine, the first movie I ever loved and still, if people are to ask me, what's your favorite movie of all time? It the might be this. Even in. if it's not the best movie ever made, it's still this one. Yep. Blue Velvet. I, uh, I know as much about Blue Velvet as I do The Time Machine. No, that's great. I mean, you know David Lynch, though, right? Oh, yeah. So I first watched this movie in university during a snowstorm. Probably is around this time of year, maybe. And there's this huge snowstorm in Nova Scotia where I was going to university in Canada. And my friend invited me over to his place to watch Blue Velvet on VHS. Because that's how we did things back then. And um, I had no idea about this movie. I had seen a few David Lynch movies, maybe Mahon Drive, um, Lost Highway. Up until this point, I'd heard of Twin Peaks. I hadn't seen it. And so I go over and watch it. And this story about kind of like a, a college kid who's brought back to his hometown because his father has a stroke. And he's slowly plunged into this kind of mystery of this small town, this underworld. Someone's been kidnapped. He finds an ear in a field. And he brings it to the police and is kind of curious, like, who did this ear belong to? Like, what's going on here? And slowly he's plunged into this kind of underworld of insane people in this small town. Um. Again, like There Will Be Blood, I watched this movie. Unlike There Will Be Blood, I think this movie shocked me more than any movie I've ever seen. Like, do you ever get that feeling like when you see something, a genuinely shocking moment where you feel like, I feel like this, sh you know, it shouldn't be allowed to be shown. You know, like someone has broken some rules. Mm. 
to show this to me. This is violating taboos. Mm -hmm. And that's the feeling I got from watching Blue Velvet. I think I felt that way when I watched Eraserhead for the first time. Right. Yeah, I think that's the David Lynch feeling. <laughs> there was yeah. something really <laughs> like transgressive yeah. about his style of filmmaking. And this was the most transgressive, I think, I've experienced. Because unlike Eraserhead, this is wrapped up in the most cohesive narrative Lynch mm -hmm. has ever done. It's a relatively straight-ahead detective mystery story. But the levels of depravity and insanity mixed with hokiness that he gets to is insane. And now I'm researching this for, for our podcast, and I'm looking more into what the reaction was back in 1986 when it was released. And I'm reading things like, okay, so they, they had a test screening for audiences. And people are writing things like, David Lynch should be shot. Oh, wow. <laughs> there were reports of lineups along, around the block in L.A. and New York. There were reports of people almost getting into a fistfight after a screening because they disagreed so passionately about the, the, the movie. And then deciding to watch the movie again to settle their differences. Oh, man. And for a filmmaker to incite this much divisiveness, this much controversy, I mean, like... No, I, I mean, that, that's such a great... Okay, so whether or not there's a fist fight that's going to be settled by watching it again, what you're saying is that, like, people loved it, so they watched it again. People hated it, so they had to watch it again because they couldn't get it out of their mind. Well, Kelly, I mean, like, 1986... Uh, the biggest Christian publication in America gave it the Best Film of the Year award. And the National Review said it should be banned or something like that. I don't, like, I it, don't even know what we're dealing with. Well, it's totally with backwards. I yeah, think. it's like yeah. A, a, a Christian publication saw some sort of merit in the film. And another, like, maybe conservative, maybe liberal publication, I'm not sure at that time, said it was, like, toxic. Weird. And, like, just the sheer range, like, the, the disruptive quality of it, it really validated my initial experience of the film. Because, mm -hmm. like, There Will Be Blood, I, I watched this movie and immediately rewound it and watched it again. I mean, mm -hmm. this wasn't even a DVD. I had to rewind the film. And I watched it again on a, you know, small screen VHS copy. So it wasn't even widescreen. It was that old boxy, you know, aspect ratio where they cut off the sides. What I would say to people who have never seen this movie is that this might be the best encapsulation of what is actually how America stifles ever resolving any of its problems. So you have this woman in the movie. I don't want you to reveal too much of what's going to go on on your next I'll try podcast. to give a, yeah, some <laughs> basic like plot outline. Yeah. There's this, so when this guy, this college kid ends up kind of diving into this mystery, he discovers this nightclub singer who she's the wife of the, the guy who's been kidnapped, the guy who has the missing ear. And he discovers this whole world of you know an underbelly in this town 
she's uh, kind of being kidnapped by Dennis Hopper, who plays this insane character called Frank Booth. And what he reveals is that, or what he discovers is that um, not only is she being kidnapped by him, but he has unlocked in her the realization that she actually is a masochist. So he's made her like what's happening to her on some depraved level. Hmm. How do you feel about the movie? I saw it last week again because we're preparing to do another podcast about it. And it was the second time I had seen it. I had seen it about two years ago. And it was even a bit more uh, more eye-opening than the first time. Do you... How long is it? Uh, it's two hours. It's just about two hours. Oh, good. Thank God. Yeah, it's, it's just about I, two hours. Because I can't wait to watch it, but I just don't want it to be three. No, no, no. It's not <laughs> three hours long. No, it's, it's, it's like a just, normal movie yeah, length. Yeah, it's just about two hours. It is perhaps David Lynch's, in a way, most approachable movie because mm-hmm. it is not that weird. And like Tim said, it is very much a a normal narrative in that case. In but that also sense. like Dennis Hopper, he's like, he's just coming off of being like losing his career uh, because of drugs. And yeah. it's right before he becomes King Koopa in Super Mario Bros. Oh, right. <laughs> like, this is one of the movies that made him, made him like have a career again. Yeah. And he does it by playing the most insane person he's ever played on screen. Well, uh, I'm going to just move the podcast forward. Sorry. That's fine. I can't wait to check out Time Machine. I'll watch that with you next week, man. I'd yeah, like to watch think, that I think we got to do a, a ca- watch a few of these movies. Yeah. So now Blue Velvet. Blah, 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 blah. I, I'm a little sauce. Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet is moving on. Now um, we're going to move into the second round, and I've already got a plan for this. Okay. All right. I've got all the winners here, um, just to remind people. The General 1926, Big Lebowski, Night of the Hunter, there will be blood, blue velvet, apocalypse now, and Doctor Strange Rub, uh, Rub Strange Rub. <laughs> Strange <laughs> rub. I think Strange I've been there rub. before. Yeah, and uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, Mike, take the list. Yep. eliminate one. Just one doesn't belong. Get out, get it out of here. Oh, you want me get to get it choose? out of there? You want tell me to choose? Tell me which one has to go. Oh man! All right. Um, it just it should be pretty simple. Should okay. Uh, well, I mean, you're gonna disagree, but I'm gonna take out Apocalypse now. See you later, alligator. Because uh, I just, I, as far as I was, what a terrible choice. Well, as far as I was going by the uh, the parameters of this 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 quiz, I would never put that in there. Well, that's where you're wrong. That's my pal. real Skip Bayless moment. Like if you ever watch Tim, Skip Bayless, your turn. Uh, Pull one out. It doesn't belong. Which one? Well. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, should be simple. The general. I'm <laughs> oh, taking the general. come on. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a great movie, too. but I, I guess I would too. not general right. audience. Okay. You know, there's oh. too much of an obstacle. I think it's I called too. the general. It's for general audiences. It's for okay. no one, pal. Let me see. <laughs> um, we've got six left over. Okay. Uh, I feel like I've been eliminating a, f- like I've I've eliminated enough. So go yeah. ahead. Take one more out, Mike. Oh, you want me to take one more out? Yeah, I'm going to have you both take another out. 
Okay. Um, the only one I have not seen is Night of the Hunter, so I'll take that out. Ooh, oh, that's one I'm really excited shame. about too. Me too. For I'm looking shame. forward to seeing that too. But uh, it's we just... should do we should do a Time Machine Night of the Hunter night. That'd be a we good should. double feature. Yeah, that's a good Tim, you've feature. seen the Time Machine, haven't you? You watched it at my place, didn't you? No, I didn't come that night. Oh, you didn't come that night? So you've hey, never seen it before. There we go. I haven't seen it. That's there we go. Feature. Then that's what we're doing. Okay. All right. Um, this is a really hard choice. Yeah, because they're all good movies. Uh, I'm going to choose this one only because I feel like it's the best. It's a fantastic film, uh-huh. but it's out of the league of the other films, Empire Strikes Back. Okay. Find a bit maybe too franchisey. I understand. Well, yeah, the other ones are kind of more art house a little bit. Right, they're more Scorsese cinema. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we've got um, Doctor Strange Love, The okay. Big Lebowski, There Will Be Blood, and Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. Master directors as well. Yeah, mm, these oh, yeah. four. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I kind of like the way that worked out. Um, do you think? What's your favorite Kubrick movie? Barry Lyndon. Really? I've never even seen that one. Barry that's, Lyndon. That's that's insane. Okay. No, okay, yeah, here's the thing. It's, it's my favorite movie. I watched it with Tim. I watched it just a couple years ago, and I still have not seen it since. I've only seen it once, but as a 28-year-old or, or whatever, however old I was when I watched it, it still had an ending that made me gasp. It was just it's the most amazing ending i mean that that duel yes that him and his son yes it's the most yeah. amazing ending i've ever seen i was stunned when i watched it and it's so rare that a movie makes me do wow. that these days. that was back when i had a broken foot i think yeah i think so yeah. That, yeah and uh that was just it's so rare that a movie makes me do that at this age and at this you know however many movies i've seen it's so rare that that happens and even for no if if no if for no other reason that's why barry Lyndon is my favorite stanley kubrick wow film. And of course, you had The Shining as a honorable mention. The Shining's my favorite. It's I don't think it's Kubrick's best, but it's my favorite. Mm. What do you yeah. think is his best? Um, probably two thousand and one. Yeah, or that's, uh, the, between March. the two, between the two of uh, Shining and two thousand and one. Yeah, it's really hard. And and that where uh, our friend Mike's comment comes in. It's the most recently one you've watched, and that's what I would do between those two. Yeah, right. Right. But I mean, maybe I haven't seen. What about Eyes Wide Shut, man? I, I love I, that movie. Really, it's, it's I just good. tried to watch it again, yeah. and I oh, got man. halfway through, and I was just like, "Not." I was feeling the same way I felt when I first watched it. Yeah, I, I love it. I think it's it creates this dream world of like anything is possible, and um, I just love the idea of a character going out at night, like getting up into getting into hijinks, and. Um, and it, you know he ends up getting involved in this kind of like rich cult, sex cult thing. I don't know. It's interesting. Hmm. I, I just find the subject matter very interesting. How he shot it is cool. <clears throat> when you dive deeper into it, like you know, Tom Cruise will be reading a newspaper. If you actually look at the other articles, they have spelling mistakes in them. They have deliberate mistakes in it because Kubrick wanted to insert that little detail, so subconsciously you could pick up on it. And just be kind of like, oh, well, this is not reality. This is like a dream. Hmm. You know? I mean, that's what I love about Kubrick. He does little things like that that no one ever notices until you like, you know. Until it's overanalyzed. Exactly. <laughs> um, what I, ab- yeah. You know, what's funny is I, I saw that in the theater, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, okay. And um, I saw it with the same guy who in the same group that 
sat me down to watch Apocalypse Now Redux, and both of those movies, I was just like, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm still kind of, I'm still, I don't get it on um, Eyes Wide Eyes Shut. Shut. I think it's it's very good, <laughs> but it's too long. And part of that is because Stanley Kubrick died before he actually finished editing uh, it as he wanted it okay. to be edited. And well, that's so, still a controversy. I, it's the one that I believe. I, I believe that he wanted to, to edit it further. I think because the, that famous orgy scene ends and there's still like an hour left of that movie. But there's just... When he also was famous for like in The Shining and 2001 and other movies, he would edit movies after they'd been released in theaters. Yeah. So he still probably would have edited Eyes Wide Shut even after. And you know, um, I haven't finished my rewatching of it. So that being said, the concept of it, I'm really into being like uh, with conspiracies and secret societies and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm yeah. really into it. So that's why I started rewatching it. But um, I just wasn't falling in yeah. uh, as quickly as I'd hoped. I like um, Eyes Wide Shut. I can rewatch it. But that's kind of my final thought on it is that it's very good. It's too long. Okay. So um, uh, we've already talked uh, about Paul Thomas Anderson yep. uh, quite extensively. Um, did we miss anything? Well, what about Magnolia? Like, do you guys love that? Or I love Magnolia. Really? Yeah. That's one for me that I just can't really, I just can't really love. It's an amazing kind of balancing act because he wrote that after his father, Ernie Anderson, died oh. of cancer. Ernie Anderson was this kind of like a famous TV host or semi-famous TV host who used to introduce these, um, you know, late night movies and stuff. And after, you know, his father went through this bout of cancer, he wrote this sprawling script with so many characters, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jason Robards, Tom Cruise. And it's probably Tom Cruise's best performance ever. Maybe, yeah. And just the emotional honesty, the, the ability to kind of have all these stories relate to this central theme of, like, you... You know, sometimes things happen that are amazing and you don't get it or you can't comprehend it, yeah. you know? And I feel like that's how I feel. About the movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe so. I mean, I, I just think it's great. I think it's a great movie. That might be the point, though, is, you know, a lot of times, especially with David Lynch, I think a lot of it is you don't have to understand what's going on, but you just need to kind of just be in it. And mm. feel it. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie? There Will Be Blood. Yeah. yeah. We were doing, when we were did our original podcast, we were doing uh, uh, Daniel Plainview. Uh, impressions. Impressions, yeah. yeah. that's right. You want to lay one on us, Tim? Because we've time. already put ours, our, ours out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. I'm trying to think of the best line. Uh, okay, this is a subtle one. Give me the... What? Give me the blood and let me get away. Give me the... Yeah, is it give me the blood? Give me the blood and li- I don't remember that. No, line. give me, give me the give me the water, Eli. Oh yeah, that's right. Give me the water, Eli. Give me the water. <laughs> yeah. Um, give me the water and let me get out of here, Eli. <laughs> there was a good one early on. There's <laughs> <laughs> so crazy we could jump right into it. <laughs> give me the water. I abandoned my boy. I abandoned my son. <laughs> I abandoned my boy. We did this before. <laughs> It's the only celebrity oh, impression shit. I can do. Yeah, I think and, and it's funny that we both do it. Um, okay. Uh, uh, okay, so there's that. We got um, Kubrick, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, Coen Brothers we kind of talked extensively. I think this is the best one for the 
Final Four, Which, the Big oh, Lebowski. The Big Lebowski. That's do, a good Final Four. How do you feel about I that? I think, you know, yeah, if you were to do a Mount Rushmore of Coen Brothers movies, I think the the Big Lebowski would be one on, one of them. Yeah, You maybe, just see oh, the, 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 the dude's face them, on it. Sure. So, um, you know what? That's that's good. I was, I was it was, it was for, but yeah, they're different. They're all three different movies. Fargo, uh, No Country, yeah. and The Big Lebowski. That's, but I think The Big Lebowski, because of it, the just the comedic, it's just, it's not a dark comedy. It's just a comedy for me. You know what I mean? Well, it's it's a gateway drug into like there you go. They're Perfect. movies. Yeah, Perfect. yeah. You're exactly right. And it's the sort yeah. of thing where it's like, oh, that's really funny. I'm going to check out other movies they did. And um, then we have uh, David Lynch, and I have a not much of a love but a hate relationship. I don't really. I can't oh, do really? it, boys. I know you guys love Twin Peaks and stuff, but yeah, yeah. like I, there's few David Lynch movies that I actually really like. Maybe Mulholland Drive. Have, I, have you seen Mulholland Drive? I started watching it on Netflix recently, uh, but just was like, I don't know. Really? So like the yeah. diner scene didn't int- intrigue you at the beginning? Can you remind me what happens? Well, like this that, guy behind the diner yeah. who's got a really messed up face. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, a big like, surprise. Yeah, in the like movie. you just walk. They, they're like talking at the table, yeah. and then they walk out back. And, and this is weird freak weird who guy. jumps out of nowhere. Yeah. Just, yeah, no, I was just like, I don't. Okay, so, it's so weird. But it's a dream. Like it's it's dream logic. You know, it was all a dream. <laughs> that's that's yeah, a David right. Lynch thing. It's just as his dreams. Yeah. I'm gonna give Blue Velvet a chance, but if I'm I'm gonna eliminate it. Well, uh, I think you right. might. Uh, yeah, eliminate it. But I'm just saying, if you want to give David Lynch another chance, yeah, Blue Velvet's probably like the most straight accessible. ahead movie. Yeah, I yeah. think so too. Accessible so is a good too. word yeah. for it. It's the most accessible. Yeah. I think so too. So there's three left. What 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 are the three left? Um, there will be Blood, mm. Strange Love, and Big Lebowski. Okay, that's good. That's a, good, um, that's a really good trio of movies. That's really let's, good. Let's let's do one random. Let's get one. Let's re- eliminate one randomly. Is oh that, man, is that tough for you guys? Oh do you, man, I don't know. Uh, not do that? That's that's harsh. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna be honest. I think of those three, the Big yeah. Lebowski is the least, is the lesser. And what do you think? Out of Doctor Strange, Love, and There Will Be Blood. I mean, depending I think on our probably, criteria. I, I think mean, if we're still loves, going for general audience, I think Strange Love's out. Okay, and I think I think. My order would go like this. The Big Lebowski, There Will Be Blood, and Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, for the general audience. Uh, yeah, I think you're probably right. Well, for the... Right. Well, the general audience, fine. But then, like... Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just bitter because Dr. Strangelove is awesome. Um, that's undeniably true. Um... <laughs> I, I, yeah, I feel like you might have... Let's get one out. Let's, you know what? Let's the Night of the Hunter randomly. was not good general viewership, was it? <laughs> well, it's gone. <laughs> it doesn't matter because there's okay. only one number one. Fair enough. I want to throw one away, like, random. All right, fine. Do you, it, I, I, I support your decision. I'm going to get one more... If uh, it's Doctor Strange Love, then it's when it was meant to be. All right. Um, do you want the one that's on my lap, in my right hand, or in my left hand? Your left hand. This one. Yep. It's Doctor Strangelove. That's the elimination. <laughs> I know that's one of the elimination. All right, fair enough. All right, so Had we've a... got. Uh, so yeah, we've got uh, that. I think this is good. Yeah. Um, the Big Lebowski and There Will Be Blood. Also, they were both on my list. I could show you guys my original. I'm list. really curious what yeah, your well, original list yeah. is. Um, and I only spent like ten minutes on this. Right. Because I. I didn't really think. I was just like, "What are some movies that I think are kind of undeniable?" Um, so let me pull that up. I'm just gonna 
do that real quick for okay so these were like things that just came uh okay so i wanted to get a christopher nolan movie because i do like his movies yep. and my favorite of his is the prestige mm. but i wasn't sure and that's then a I great had, choice yeah. then i had uh big lebowski but then in parentheses i had no country fargo mm. yep. Then i had the master dash there will be blood okay mm. then pulp fiction i don't know i just wanted to do something tarantino but i wasn't the, sure about the thing it. the thing uh, like because i thought about tarantino for this contest as well but if i was thinking about general audience and things that people would enjoy i often think with tarantino the common complaint would be he's too violent but mm. with tarantino i don't think it's always well you're just a dope if you think it's too violent right that that's that can actually be a legitimate complaint and I know just some people like that kind of violence just isn't their thing. And that's I think that's okay. If if you if you don't like that type of Tarantino violence, then for this contest anyway. But Pulp Fiction sure. was okay. my, on my original list too. Like oh, I, okay. I made a list of like twenty. But so that's then, why I didn't put any Tarantino movies in there. Then this. I had Exorcist, Apocalypse Now, Jaws, and I was just these are just mm. these are just thoughts. Uh one right. flew over the cuckoo's next yeah. nest. And I don't think that one would would have made the cut. Hmm. But um and Shawshank, but I don't think Shawshank would have made it either. I just know that that's hailed as one of the best movies. I don't of think all it's time. gonna stand the test of time. No. I barely remember it. No, I just uh, no. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it is just uh, beloved by people, and that's why it came to my mind. It's a very good movie, but I don't. But, I barely remember it. So here's where we are: The Big Lebowski, and There Will Be Blood. Um, there can only be one. I yeah. I think that the general audience is gonna appreciate sitting down for Big Lebowski more. Yeah, I think you're right. I guess, but I would still personally, the cinephile in me is just is just screeching for there will be blood. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I get it. Yeah, I get it. But the Big Lebowski. All right, the Big Lebowski. Out of there all will the be blood goes down about. in flames. Yeah, <laughs> in favor of basically Pablum. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's a great movie. It's a yeah. great movie. Yeah, well, no, the the Big Lebowski is great. One of my no, favorite. You said it right. It's the it's the entry drug to the Coen Brothers. Yeah, right. Right. No, one of one of my favorite interviews I ever saw, I think, on a, a talk show. I don't remember what talk show it was, but it was Jeff Bridges, and he it's the who I think it might have been Conan or something. Conan asked him like, "Do you ever watch your own movies?" And Jeff Bridges says, "No, but if I ever find The Big Lebowski on TV, I don't change channels because there's just something about that yeah, movie." And yeah, I agree. I've probably. always agreed with that. I said, "Yeah, there's something about that movie. Yeah, it is so well made." Yeah. Just to like just to like remember it for him, I bet it's just like what a trip it must be to see like all of those things put together cuz you got to imagine that like the filming for that must have just been as webbed out as possible you know out of sync oh, and sure. like you know like this scene here one day and then you're on the beach the next day and who knows what's going where yeah i'm sure he read the script uh but maybe he didn't you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know it, it probably would have fit the dude not to read the script there's but a story that goes where he brought his wife and his daughter to filming and there was that part where he's in that um that Kenny Rogers song uh, just dropped in to see how what condition my condition my was in, yeah. right. and he's sliding down the bowling alley under all these women's legs, mm. and a lot of these women weren't wearing underwear. <laughs> right, right. So and his expression is actually yeah, reflecting but it's, that. Yeah, it just happened to be the day that he brought his wife and daughter to filming. Yeah. Oh That's yeah, <laughs> I, I heard that story. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, boys, that's it. Yeah, that's it. It's only, the Big Lebowski. Only about three hours. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It's been a lot of fun. 
It's so funny. Uh, do you guys want to put like a little a little thing in for your listeners if they've made it this far? Yeah, man. Yeah. Hey. Um, if you make it this far, my mm. number is... Tim is not giving out his phone number, but he will personally respond to the first three people who make it this far and who message the Now It's Dark Movie podcast. And I want you to text me the words, Night of the Hunter is overrated. Yeah, get that phone number. And, or uh, you could text and say the time machine was robbed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, just send your opinions to that phone number right. in a text, and the uh, the country code is eight two. The country code is eight two. I mean, Mac DeMarco did it, so I don't yeah. really feel too bad about doing it. Um, That's great. Send all yeah. your complaints to my number. I'll and, be, uh, I'll, I'll be, I'll be very pleasantly surprised if you get a text. If I get a text, um, I will immediately update you. Yes, please do. Um, Okay, great. Well, uh, you know, if you folks enjoyed this, God love (laughs) you. Thanks for listening to Nothing's Really Real and the Now It's Dark movie podcast. Nothing's really dark um, or now it's real. The darkness is real. Yeah. And we're being totally serious. By the, by the way, Kelvin, you don't know this, but now it's dark comes from Blue Velvet. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's a line that Dennis Hopper says multiple times. And MB Jones does your uh, does your music, yeah. does does your theme he does. song. That's well, yeah. it did. And we got a we had a couple comments about that. Mm. Like people oh, wanting really? to know where the where the track comes from. Actually that's um it's a very subtle it's a very subtle track. It's it's a nice little entry. Well, you know, that's actually the national anthem. What? He does a remake of the National Anthem. The Radiohead song? No, like the actual American National Anthem. Well, there's a lot of National Anthems. Yeah. The American National Anthem. <laughs> That's <laughs> the Star-Spangled Banner, track you mean? for the Star-Spangled Banner. Oh, really? And uh, we don't actually get to the lyrics, so you don't hear that, but that's actually what the song is. Let's, let's, uh, let's play us out. Thank you.